2: Connecting to the big show.
3: In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, Joe. You know? The law is the law.
2: Peter, this is in our house. I mean, it really is.
4: People were there.
5: We will continue to raise our voices.
2: We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk?
3: Call
2: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
3: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On
3: Cork's 96fm.
6: Yeah, we've been getting more and more reaction overnight and on the social and all over the place to that WHO report that we were talking about yesterday morning to do with women and drinking, where the WHO has effectively said, and it's there in black and white, underlined in red... Women of childbearing age should be effectively prevented from drinking. If you want to have a child, if you're ever even thinking about having a child, the WHO reckons you should not drink at all. Uh, a couple of reactions to that coming up later on this morning. Also, the vaccine rollout is going very, very well. We, we got confirmation last evening from Chief Medical Officer, uh, Dr. Holohan. Things are going really, really, really well. Uh, he he was giving his now less regular briefings than we used to
2: get before. We're seeing in the real world now a really meaningful impact a very significant impact that's giving us great encouragement. The more people we can get vaccinated, the more we can get back to uh, to normal. The vaccines are working really, really well Effectively, Effectively he said
6: that in the vaccinated cohorts the cohorts that are now close to fully vaccinated, then the level of infection has pretty much fallen off a cliff. We know that the the numbers in the hospitals has fallen off a cliff. The number in the intensive care has fallen off a cliff. It's great. It's absolutely wonderful. But he is still warning that we need to be just that little bit careful because obviously the young people are still not vaccinated. And there's another story in the news this morning that kind of attaches a bit of something worrisome to that. But the young people are not fully vaccinated and therein at the moment, many of them aren't even half vaccinated therein at the moment lies one of our problems.
2: A persistent high rate of transmission among the 19 to 24 year old age group that comes as a result of contact among people who are uh, still not vaccinated and we have to express a continuing concern about that Um, and that will remain a risk to us and a risk obviously to to individuals uh, in that age group So
6: that's where we stand this morning, we're going really, really well. Some journalists were saying last evening that that was as positive as they had seen Dr. Holohan for quite some time. The antigen testing issue was brought up as well at that briefing Uh, And I go back to it because he he said some more interesting stuff about antigen testing or as Professor Mills was saying to us yesterday on the opinion line, perhaps we should refer to it as rapid testing because to just call it antigen testing, there's more than one type of test. There's more than one use of each type of test. So we should perhaps refer to it as rapid testing. Speaking of uh, Professor Mills, yesterday morning, he was also speaking to me about heterologous vaccination. Heterologous vaccination. This is where you get one vaccine today and in your four or five or six weeks you get another one, a different one. And you've got thousands of people out there now who have had one AstraZeneca jab. And he is saying, as an immunologist of many years standing, not only would it be a good idea, it would be a very good idea because of the level of protection offered to give them a second one. Give them a Pfizer, give them a Moderna to actually give people who've had the first dose of AstraZeneca to give them a Pfizer as their second dose he said the science is there the evidence is there to show that not only is it a good idea it's a very good idea because it offers very solid protection and we discussed that at length with uh, Professor Mills we also know that NIAC the Immunation Advisory Committee aren't going there right now they're not inclined to go there right now. And for Dolores Grace, that is a problem because Dolores Grace is someone for whom the first vaccination with AstraZeneca, shall we say it went horribly wrong. Uh, Grateful to our colleagues, Louise Walsh and Michael Doyle at The Sun for their assistance in connecting us uh, with Dolores who joins me now. Good morning, Dolores.
5: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
6: Good and delighted to have you on the programme. How are you feeling these days?
5: Um, I'm much better than I was. I still wouldn't be 100%, but I'm definitely better than I was in the few weeks after it. It's now 12 weeks later, but definitely those first six to eight weeks were pretty horrendous.
6: So tell me what happened. You were called for your AstraZeneca and off you went.
5: Yeah, so I'm a cohort four. I'm immunocompromised. was called pretty early to have my vaccination, which I was very grateful for. And I had my first vaccination on a Monday by that evening, I was quite sick. flu like symptoms. That was fine. Expected that. The next day, quite sick. flu like symptoms. And then the Wednesday, I actually felt a little bit okay. But the Thursday, I got a horrendous headache. So that was day three. Horrendous, horrendous headache. And my blood pressure was quite high. I went to my GP and my blood pressure was quite high. So the headache persisted for weeks. Mm. And I ended up in A&E and needed a brain scan and lots of tests. Um, so that's really what happened, to me. And
6: what, was, what did they find, if anything?
5: Nothing really, but just said it was a, it was a severe reaction to the vaccine.
6: So they were certain that that's what it was.
5: Well, they they couldn't find anything else to explain it, so that's what they put it down to. Right,
6: right. So obviously, I don't suppose you want a second Astrazeneca, do you?
5: No, I don't want a second Astrazeneca. Um, and my GP has advised not to take the second AstraZeneca, having reviewed what's happened to me. Um, so that leaves me in a bit of a quandary because I'm immunocompromised, as I've said, and now I only have half a vaccine, and so I'm not protected.
6: Mm. Particularly not against Delta. Now,
5: Absolutely, yeah.
6: Experts like uh, Professor Mills and uh, Sam McConkie was on as well with me last week and I think Anthony Staines mentioned it too, they all say that this mixing of vaccines, this heteronalgous, I think is the big word for it, that that is not only a good idea, it's an excellent idea because of the reports coming back from places where they're actually doing it. But you can't get a second Pfizer.
5: No, I went to my GP about it and they have specifically been told they will not be covered to give a different type of vaccine. So... My is not going to go there. He's not going to expose himself to give someone a vaccine that he's not covered to give. Mm. But then where does that leave me? Because I have nobody to contact about this. And yeah. that's the frustrating part. That yeah. there's nowhere to go in the middle. Yeah, yeah. My consultant's having the same issues. They're trying to find someone who'll give them an answer, but there isn't really anyone that they can get in touch with.
6: Yeah, yeah the government takes this advice and the HSE takes its advice only from NIAC, NIAC, who, for some reason best known to themselves, are still not inclined to go down that road. But that's no comfort to you.
5: It's no comfort. And I am not alone. Since my story has come out, lots of people have contacted me. Um, so it's not that we're expecting them to give it to everybody, but certainly there should be exceptions made for people who genuinely need a vaccine the same duty of care, they, they have to afford the same duty of care to me. If they're giving vaccines to everybody, I should be entitled to some vaccine cover. Mm. Um, so they should be able to make exceptions.
6: It's the policy, I guess, is driving it all.
5: Yeah, I, I totally get that it's a system. They're trying to vaccinate a whole country. But they should be able to look at the people who are in the middle who are stuck. Because you know, especially with this new variant coming in, there will always be new variants. I imagine this one is just one of many that will come. You know, Mm. Mm.
6: Mm. (laughs) Professor Mills was quoted in the same article of the Sun uh, that you spoke to them, and he was on the program with me yesterday. Quite a long and detailed conversation we had, and he just said, "Look," he said, uh, "data from the UK and from Spain is suggesting that a Pfizer booster." for people who have already had one dose of AstraZeneca is highly effective and there's a much greater supply of Pfizer around the world at the minute.
5: Yeah, and the other side of it is a healthy person my age is not allowed to take AstraZeneca but they're expecting me to accept it. That Mm. also can't be right. Yeah,
6: because you're outside the age range for other than the cohort you're in you're outside the standard age range, age range for AstraZeneca. So,
5: yes, exactly,
6: yeah. yeah. You, you kind of must feel a bit at a loose end, do you, Dolores?
5: Well, now, yeah, I mean, it's fine at the moment. i kind of not as over-panicked as I possibly would have been if the numbers were higher. Um, you know, it's summer. You can live your life outdoors. But if, if I have to remain in this unvaccinated state going into winter, if there's another surge what does that mean? I sit in my house? Mm. You know, that's not, that's not a fair life.
6: And of course, they're all telling us every day, the more of us that are double vaccinated, then the more will, the
7: will return. Yeah.
5: yeah, yeah. And that's what everybody wants. And that's all I'm asking for. You know, I'm just asking for the same chance that everyone is getting a double
6: vaccination. Mm. And I guess, you, you know, you're, it's it's refreshing to hear someone like yourself who unfortunately had a bad experience. You appreciate that your experience is very rare, but all you're saying, I'm not running away from a vaccine. I want I want, a, I want a vaccine, but yes, I'm you not
5: know. anti-vax in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. But I I do accept that one size does not fit all. Mm. You know, yeah. Um I'm definitely not anti-vax. I always take my flu shot every year. I've had the pneumonia vaccine. I, well, you you, you know, were quite
6: willing I, to take your first one here.
5: I yeah. was hesitant, I will say, about the type. But, well, yeah, because yeah. um, yeah, I got my vaccine just the week after they had shut it down for a week. And I'd had a previous blood clot, which caused heart failure. So I was very nervous, Yeah, I have to say, you know.
6: You must but have been a bit be... scared so, Dolores, when things started to go wrong for you.
5: A little bit, yes. I have to say it wasn't a very pleasant time. There was a lot of anxiety there. Um,
6: and what did they do for you? Did they have treatments or anything for you?
5: No, no, just to take pain meds. And I mean, I'm on a lot of other medication as well, so it's not as though they can keep loading more and more onto me. I've just suffered through, I have to say. Yeah. Um.
6: So have so. you been called yet for your second Yeah. Hand?
5: I was called for last Monday.
6: For last Monday. And how did you approach that? Did you just not turn up or did you ring yeah, them? Yeah, I just what, not
5: turned up because I couldn't, there's no number to ring for it, so...
6: Oh, isn't there?
5: So I'll be one of the no-shows now.
6: Yeah. Isn't there the 1850, 24, 1850?
5: Yes, I've been on to that number and they couldn't do anything for me.
6: Right, right. Yeah. I imagine you're probably not the only one in that circumstance. Yeah. And, like, your doctor, it's not just that you don't want...
5: Yeah, my doctor. Your doctor is yeah. advising
6: you: don't yeah. take the chance. Yeah,
5: and, yeah, and don't take the chance. That's exactly his his opinion.
6: And the consultants that you saw are they on the same lines? Are they?
5: Yeah, they are. Yeah, right. I mean, they understand my concerns as well. You know.
6: Yeah, you've written to Tony Holohan and you've written to Stephen, Stephen Donnelly.
5: Donnelly. Yeah. yeah, I've written to Anayak, I've written to. I wrote to Kingston Mills. I wrote to lots and lots and lots of people. Um. Kingston Mills and Luke O'Neill were the only people who replied to me.
6: What did, what did Luke say?
5: Um, he just said he couldn't comment, obviously, on my case without, you know, he's not a medical doctor, but to push for the mRNA.
6: Yeah, yeah. Because, well, he's not a medical doctor. Neither no, is, it's
0: not. neither
6: not. Neither is Kingston, but that's what no. they do. They study this stuff and they research this stuff. And I think myself, Dolores, and I'm just sharing a, a personal opinion with you, I think if Kingston Mills is saying go with it and if Luke O'Neill is saying go with it and if they're saying the science is good and a man we talk to regularly on the show here John Campbell in the UK has looked at it and, and and said yep there's a lot to be said for it. The science is out there that there's a lot to be said for it. They're doing it in, in Spain at this stage already to to, to speed up the, the, the rollout. You would have to wonder why NIAC isn't inclined to move.
5: Yeah. And I, I, I just wonder where we're going to go from here. Like, are we going to need boosters? Does that mean we're always stuck in the original vaccine we've gotten for boosters?
0: That's an excellent point.
5: Or are we going to change that in well, the future?
6: Well, it does, look as if, it does look as if we're going to need boosters, particularly the vulnerable, for a year or two.
5: So. Yeah, the same as we take our flu shot. And that's why we, as a vulnerable group, take our flu shot, to protect us from serious illness. That's all we want, you know. It's yeah. protection. Yeah. And trying to live a, a normal life. That's all anyone wants.
6: Yeah, yeah. I don't know how it's going to work out for you, Dolores. But I mean, do you feel a bit hard done by?
5: A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I suppose if, if there was someone to contact who would give definitive advice to my GP or to my consultant mm-hmm. as to why they're not advising us at the minute, that would help. Yeah. But at the minute, it's just a blanket no. There's yeah, no
6: one, without you an know? explanation.
7: Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah.
6: Dolores, I wish you well, and I hope it all works out for you soon. Thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion Line. That's Dolores Grace, and she's from Athboy, in County Meath. And thanks to our colleagues and friends, Louise Walsh and Michael Doyle at the Irish Sun, who put us in contact. I'm sure there's probably more like her. She was one of the very, very rare people who had a bad reaction to her first AstraZeneca. Her doctor has said, look, don't take the chance with the second one. Her consultants have said, don't take the chance with the second one. Nothing might happen or something might happen. So now she is effectively half vaccinated when we're told that all of the effectiveness is after two. One dose of AstraZeneca is only about 33% effective against Delta. We're also hearing some new research this morning coming in from the uk that as you move forward like you get your pfizer your second pfizer and you have a week then you're then considered to be fully vaccinated actually as you go forward a month maybe two months you're even more immune you're even more stronger against the the various variants it you feel for her don't you you feel for her but look we have to be led and said by NIAC they're the ones making the decisions it's a dilemma it really what just and I'm not looking for causing trouble here or anything but are there people listening to me right now who are waiting on a second AstraZeneca and can understand how Dolores feels and would prefer to get something else instead just your thoughts if you have them, eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six.
7: Can we just talk?
2: The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM.
6: With Dairy Made Premium
3: Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now. 083
6: On
2: Courts 96 FM.
6: Dennis says, I'm sick of hearing PJ tell everyone that things are going well. He's so impressed by professors, but he needs to listen to ordinary people. They say there are 500 jobs lost in Shannon over the Irish rules on aviation. 450 jobs definitely lost in Stobart. Probably more going in BA and Aer Lingus. Things are not going well. Israel's is all vaccinated, UK going very well. We can't even get past the over 30s. Well, Dennis, the stats are that right now, this, as of this morning, a third approximately of the population is fully vaccinated. 61 or 62% has had at least one dose of the vaccine. That is going well compared to where we were a few weeks back. We started off slowly, we bumped and we hopped and we farted and we burped quite a bit, but we're getting there. The economy can only fix itself after we fix the public health problem. If you want to argue with me on that point, argue all you like. But you can only fix the economy after you deal with the public health first. Uh, Dr. John Sheehan, of course, uh, of Cork City Council and GP on the north side, I wanted to bring in you, John, at this stage because of the Reports this morning as well from Paul Reid in the HSE that the vaccine rollout will slow down again in July. And that is a bit concerning, John, isn't it? Good morning.
8: It is. Good morning, Peter. And, and, and you're right regarding the vaccination programme. At the moment, we're the third highest vaccine vaccinated population in the EU. So it has been a success. And, you know, we've had so many hard times uh, over the last year. I think it is important to acknowledge, you know, what... People have done, and you know the, you know the the take up of the vaccine and the willingness of people to engage. And one thing we've learned about this is that the vaccine will change and the guidelines will change um, over the next few months. There's no doubt about that because it has constantly changed every few weeks. And you know what you were talking to your previous speaker, and my heart would go out to her you know, there's a very high likelihood that that will
6: change. Do you think in so, John? Of- I, meant, I meant to ask you that, because at, at the moment, NIAC, I suppose, look, it's considering it and thinking about it, but at the moment, NIAC is insisting we're not going to go that way, but the science from around the world is saying it's worth looking at.
8: Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, the science, the science is quite strong on it, so I, I would be I, I would be quite hopeful that it will change. I think NIAC's logic may be in terms of uh, availability of supply, and in terms of just having one system and keeping it clear and simple, and that uh, the numbers are doing well and we're, we're vaccinating so drive on and I'd imagine that's where some of their thinking is coming from but I've no doubt that this will change in terms of supply PJ it was always anticipated that the, the, the availability of supply is going to go down a little bit in July that has be flagged for the last number of weeks oh, it has it? weekly webinars yeah and it has um, so they knew their supply chain a couple of months in advance and they always knew that it was going to go down a little bit in July and um, you know, we've had bumpy roads with, with supply in terms of AstraZeneca and then and, and some of the other vaccines over the while. Um, but we knew in June there was going to be two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand people being vaccinated a week, which is fabulous. Mm. And then that's going to go down a little bit um, in July. But you know, if it go down to two hundred or so, it won't go down massively. Uh, and
6: is this because of the fact that we won't be giving out any more AstraZeneca after the end of June? Is that it, or Johnson and Johnson due to the age restrictions?
8: That's pretty much it, yeah, and in fairness to Pfizer, it has been very consistent in terms of its delivery schedule and on time and things like that. So as we transition more to the Pfizer, there is obviously a a capacity of being able to produce the Pfizer vaccine, so some of that will, um, um, will go down.
6: Okay. John, um, as a doctor working in the community uh, every day, w- would you agree with what... Dr. Tony Houlihan is telling us that in the vaccinated sectors of society cases have gone off a cliff and we've come very close to to quashing this thing.
8: Absolutely, and and that is the real, real benefit of the vaccination in terms of elderly people getting it, elderly people being admitted to hospital and being admitted to ICU. Um, We've had no positive cases in about six, eight weeks, PJ, until this week, and We've had six or seven cases this week, and they've all been in young people. To no fault of their own, um, but they've all been in young people. And one y- how y- young, y-
6: young are we talking, Jan?
8: Usually family clusters. So you might have an adult, a parent, and then a couple
6: of small children, that sort of you know, right. age group. You know, right. But they're
8: all fine, and, you know, they, they don't know how they got it. It's yeah, and it's, are, it's, are we talking the
6: under-35s or the under-40s oh, here? Oh, yeah, yeah,
8: yeah, the under-35s, yeah. So, you know, it's young people, and if you look at the stats, you know, the, the 19 to 24 are by far the, uh, the biggest group that get it. You know, because they're not vaccinated, they're out socialising. Mm. But the good thing is, you know, for most of them, nobody wants to get it, but for most of them,
6: they're going to be fine. And, uh, and are you worried about Delta? Have we seen Delta in Cork?
8: Um, Not that I know of, but I'd be surprised if we don't. Most of the cases seem to be in Dublin. The vast majority of the Delta cases in Dublin, perhaps because it's more international and there's more travel and the density of the population. Um, I'd be surprised if we don't get it here. But really, the measures that they're bringing in in terms of the increased restrictions, people traveling from the UK, is to slow it down. Because every time you slow down by a week, you're vaccinating 250 to 300 thousand more people. So you're getting up there with the vaccination um, numbers, and that just reduces down then the ability of these viruses to spread
6: more. Okay, okay, so that's that, that's positive. I mean, it looked a bit it's negative. Very positive, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
9: yeah, yeah, no, it really
6: is. Quick, know. quick question from Ber, Doctor, the, the period. After the second dose of AstraZeneca, we know that, say, with Pfizer, it's a week before you're, to use the term, bulletproof. With Moderna, it's two weeks. Do we know what it is with AstraZeneca?
8: After after the first dose of AstraZeneca, actually 28 days after the first dose of AstraZeneca, they are saying now that you have a very good immune response. Um, After the second dose, obviously, you go up to about 94%. So, and I know AstraZeneca has had a bit of a bit of a hard time, I think, in terms of its PR. But actually, if you look at the people who've got two doses of AstraZeneca versus two doses of Pfizer, there's only a one or two percent difference in terms of a hospitalisation rate yeah. and ICU. No, I think. So I think one, first question
6: well. is about how long after your second AstraZeneca jab can you, shall we say, begin to resume a normal life?
8: Honestly, I'm not sure. And I was actually looking this up last night um, for another reason. Um, I think it's 7 for Pfizer, 14 for Moderna. I think it could be 28, but I I could be wrong. I would uh, actually ask people to look up The Health Protection Surveillance Centre website is a really good website and it's got all the answers to every question that you'll have there in terms of travel, in terms of isolation, in terms of vaccination. But off the top of my head, I honestly can't remember.
6: All right, John, appreciate that and always good to speak with you. That's Dr. John Sheehan, Councillor Dr. John Sheehan, of course, a practising GP in the heart of the north side of our city. And just listen to what he said, backing up what uh, our Chief Medical Officer has said, that... Effectively, in the, vaccin- in the fully vaccinated cohorts, this thing has fallen off a cliff. He hadn't had a case in his practice for several weeks. And he's had a couple of cases recently, but they're all in the young, unvaccinated cohorts. So, this is on the ground here in Cork. This thing is working. We are getting there. And I was getting into an argument last night on Twitter. I, I, I really bring this stuff upon myself, and I shouldn't. I got into an argument last night on Twitter with some of these idiots with the smiley faces, you know those kinds, who denied that it's there at all. And they were, te- they were telling me I'd be had up for crimes against humanity. This is the kind of BS you have to put up with. But they were saying, well, how come they can have stadiums full in Denmark, and how come they can have this, and how come they can have that? I don't care. I don't care, seriously you want to go to a match more than you want to protect public health and as regards Dennis and the economy Dennis I completely agree with you about the economy I am so worried about the economy I just hope against hope it won't tank like it did in 2008 and 2009 but I have to believe and I have to look at public health first health before wealth, always and ever sorry 1850
7: Can we just talk
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium
3: spread, 100% natural, and made in
2: Cork using West Cork cream.
7: Can we just
2: talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Call us now, 1850-715-996.
2: On Cork's 96FM.
6: Right, the second dose of AstraZeneca, the HSE says 15 days after your second dose, which is roughly the same as Moderna. So 15 days after your second dose of AstraZeneca. Uh, The manufacturers, we think, were saying 28 days. But Anne was on to say it looks like anyone who gets a second AstraZeneca won't actually be properly immune in time for the summer. So those planning to go anywhere abroad could be bringing anything back. Cork Airport is opening up again, but I can see it being a big mistake. Well, Anne, I suppose any time after your second dose, like a week, even a week or two weeks after your second dose, you're building up immunity. You're getting there. Like Pfizer you're at full immunity after one week, Moderna two weeks, Johnson & Johnson two weeks, AstraZeneca according to the HSE says 15 days, so two weeks. So look, even if you wanted to go to Tenerife a week after your second AstraZeneca, you'd probably be okay. You'd probably be okay and pretty safe to do so. Interesting opinion poll actually out this morning in the Irish Times where it surveyed uh, 1,200 adults, which is a sizable number, at 120 different sampling areas around the country. So it was a fairly widespread survey. Uh, And according to the Irish Times this morning, 50% of people said they want the government to proceed with full opening as quickly as possible, but 46% want a slower pace. So they're divided on that. But digging down further into it, Only 14% of people surveyed by the Irish Times said that they planned to take a foreign holiday this summer. 78% of them saying that they didn't plan to do it. They planned to stay at home for just one more summer. Just one more summer. And that's all it is, because this time next year... Oh, I'm telling you now, (laughs) this time next year, I'll be gearing up. For the, 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 the new sandals and, and, and all the new t-shirts to go on my holidays. I won't be buying jackets and jumpers for my holidays. I'll be buying new t-shirts and shorts for my holidays. I'll be back in the sunshine this time next year. But I'm not going. I'm fully vaccinated now. I could go after the 19th of July if I wanted to. But I'm not going to take a chance. And most of my friends that I'm talking to who are either halfway to being vaccinated or fully vaccinated, they're the same. They're not going to take the chance this year. Maybe the back end of the year, but no, no, probably 2022 before we venture abroad again. I said to you at the very top of the program that the reaction overnight and the reaction ongoing to this WHO document is, uh, I, I guess it's predictable. People are not, women in particular, not happy about this new plan from the WHO. Now it's a recommendation, it's not a direction, it's not telling governments to do anything, it's just putting it there in a document what the WHO thinks with regards to alcohol. It is their uh, global action plan, the latest update of it, they do that from time to time. And yes, before anybody asks the question, women were involved in its preparation and its production. But it says... Women of childbearing age should be banned from drinking alcohol. It calls on countries to raise awareness of alcohol-related harm and its harmful use. It looks also at things like an International World No Alcohol Day. It points out about a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It points out that booze is associated with increased disease, poor mental health, violence, lost productivity and strained relationships. What it seems to be saying is the way you used to give up drink when you... For for time immemorial, women, as I said yesterday, women that I know have been... The minute the pregnancy test comes up, they're off the drink and they don't touch a sup until the children are born that's been going on for years the NHS in the UK I'm not sure whether the HSE has the same direction which is why I keep quoting the NHS the NHS says that if you plan to conceive in the next number of months then you should be giving up drink now, that's what they say now the WHO wants to add wheels to it and say actually if you want to have a child at all you shouldn't drink Mary Jane, good morning
5: Good morning PJ, how are you? Your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, like, okay, first of all, um, you know, if I were pregnant, would I be walking down Patrick Street with a can of boomers? No. That's the first thing I want to say. So I'm not saying that women should be drinking when they're pregnant at all. But I don't think, like, I think what's irking me about the whole situation is that they're saying women of childbearing age. Not every woman of childbearing age wants to have a child. So to say that, like, you should... Blanket banish for women of childbearing age is absolutely, first of all, ludicrous. And second of all, like, as you said, time immemorial, I don't know anybody who drank through their pregnancy. Um, Not all of my friends just gave it up um, and they didn't even go for the non-alcoholic beer or anything like that. Most of them just kind of said, oh, you know, you wouldn't mm. be in the farm first, you'd be tired. It's a big, it's a big adjustment yeah. um, for a woman's body anyway. And I guess so, just
6: reading, I was, I think I'm probably being a, a bit charitable just on a deeper reading of it. I was saying that, there's, that the WHO is recommending, well, if you want to have a child, don't drink. I think to be fair, the report is going farther than that and word more strongly than that. It says if you're of childbearing age, the government should take pre- measures to prevent you from drinking. That's that's a bit Handmaid's Tale, I guess.
5: It's it's absolutely completely Handmaid's Tale, and um, it's like everything in 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 life. Um, PJ, if I go and I want to have a Big Mac, you know, um there's a there's you know, it's not good, probably not good for your heart or whatever, and um, and it's the same thing with with alcohol. But like this this whole idea that women should be absolutely banned um, from drinking when they're childbearing, it's it's. It it makes us like infants. It you know makes women. It makes women. And look, you know, it does. It affect the reproductive. Um, I know that the man isn't carrying the baby, but does it affect the reproductive organ of a man, or you know their reproductive ability? Who knows? You know, it just for me on a personal level as a woman, and like I'm a woman theoretically of childbearing age. I mean, if I went into a pub and they said, "Oh no, we can't serve you a glass of wine because you know you might you might be pregnant or you might have a a, Mm. a, you know a child," it's just absolutely ludicrous. And you know, and I know Donald Trump wanted to defund the WHO, but you can see bloody why now when they're doing when they're pulling out this kind of these kind of um, statistics and stunts, you know, because to me it just it seems like it's a bit sensationalist and it's nearly like. Did well initially people were
6: saying Mary Jane oh this is honey how the media are reading this and I remember one of the first out of no. the blocks with it with a very well written report was in fact the Daily Mail and people say oh no no the Daily Mail but in actual fact when you get the report up on screen it's there in black and white
5: And it's, it's not being sensationalised I mean you c- there's no way you can sensationalise when they say that women of childbearing age should not drink I mean that is black and white that's like saying I'm wearing a black dress today or, mm. you know. Well,
6: there's a difference between saying women of childbearing age should not drink. There's a difference between that. There's a whole stretch, in fact, Mary Jane, between saying that and saying women of childbearing age should not be allowed by their government to drink.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is, it's very, very Handmaid's Tale. And it's it's, it's strange, but like, I, I don't know that they do this on, but I, I was kind of saying to my friend there, the other day I was saying, have they done this to kind of, detract from COVID or you know what is going on like who who is in charge it's like it's like the lunatics are running the asylum or something like who's in charge who decide you know and I know you were saying that women were involved in the whole process and whatever and like obviously I'm not a medical doctor but you know I know myself personally that if I was pregnant I would take the decision not to drink Mm -hmm. but god behold anyone tell me what to do
6: yeah, you know, I think most people. Body, to be fair, I don't know anyone in the last ever. I said since since we were expecting our own kids. Yeah. Any woman that I know, any woman that I'm related to, that I'm friends with. Yeah. None of them would touch but, a drink while they're pregnant. My, you know.
5: My mother, my mother went into labour, PJ, and she went and had a hot whiskey, <laughs> and then she walked off to St. Well, you know, Why then, then it is.
6: can't do any harm, like? Yeah. me. <laughs> They're at the exit door of that stage. Like
5: them. <laughs> she went into labour, and that's what she had as her as her anaesthetic was a hot one. Ah, yeah,
6: well, you could you could forgive they her were, that, couldn't you?
5: They were, they were great women in those days, but like like if you remember back in the back, probably now in our mothers' time, PJ women were recommended to have a glass of stout for iron correct. pregnant women, correct, and all this kind of stuff. So, like, I know that the goalposts are changing, and you know society evolves, and as we learn more, we need to know more. But there is absolutely categorically no way, and I, I don't. I I actually think, as a country, we're liberal enough not to, not to be taking this kind of nonsense on board. You know,
6: mm. I mean, it's a recommendation. They're, but it, they're not. They're recommending that governments bring in laws to yeah. prevent women of childbearing age from drinking. Like, in in that's that's not going to happen. You you couldn't tell fifty percent of the society that you can't walk into an off licence and buy a bottle. You
5: and, just, and also, it's a, you know, it's like everything, you know, you can't, but you can't walk, well, you can probably walk onto the street and get heroin, but like, you know, it's the same thing. If people want it, they'll get it anyway, do you know, but I, I do think, I do think we're going towards a society that's totally demonizing drink and it's it's a bit worrying.
6: Now, that's an interesting one, because I've been saying for years, and you know, Mary-Jane, like, yeah. I've always said this thing about nation of alcoholics and and that the Irish can't hold their drink and all this. I, I always insist on one word being put in there, some.
5: Yeah, some, you exactly.
4: As
6: a, exactly. As, a moderate, as a moderate drinker, a fellow who loves my drink, and yes, occasionally goes over the top, but I take offence to being put under that umbrella of a, a nation of alcoholics. Yeah.
5: And like, you know, it's it's all very well, you know, and they have, the HSC have their, you know, that they, that everyone, that women drink 11 standard drinks and men drink 17 drinks a week or whatever. And that's the weekly amount and that's fine. And like, look, you know, um, and they say that you have a couple of alcohol free um, days a week. I think that's how most people choose to drink. And I think as you get older, your your drinking patterns evolve. I mean, you know, the 17 year old, they're having you know, six or seven pints in there, you know, whatever. But six or seven pints when you're, uh, uh, you know, an adult and you're in a different space, like it's 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 just horses for courses. It's about knowing your. I suppose it's about consulting with your GP if you're worried and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of about knowing your your limits, you know. Mm. Um, and yeah, it is like we are. I think we are getting toward to to a, a place um, where we're demoni where we're demonising alcohol. You know, and for for a lot of people, for me anyway, I'm a social drinker. Like I like going mm-hmm. out having a drink.
6: Yeah, yeah. no, I, I I'm t- totally with you there, uh, Mary Jane, because I do think that uh, they are. We're heading for a a world now where alcohol and the enjoyment of alcohol is being slowly demonised. Uh, and you're right there, but this WHO and actually the BBC and Daily Mail and CNN and many others have approached WHO to ask them, come here lads, is there some mistake here? Is there some misunderstanding? Are we misreading this? Is this a draft that just got out before it was edited? Is there something going on here? Is there a mistake? And they haven't responded. If there was a mistake or there was a misunderstanding or it was being misinterpreted or it was written in a way that could be misinterpreted, then surely they'd say that. But they haven't. More on this uh, later on, and your thoughts particularly. Hold on a second, I've just dropped something. Just get it there from under the table. Sorry, it's live. Your thoughts on whether you think drink, I like that point from Mary Jane, whether you think drink is being demonised at this point. 1850, 715, 996, and I had that in my hand. Yes, mortgages. There's a news story this morning that says one company, Avant Money, are to start offering 30-year Fixed-rate mortgages. Is that a good or a bad thing? I remember getting locked into a fixed-rate mortgage. It was a while ago now, I can tell you. It was the 90s. I remember getting locked into a fixed-rate mortgage. And at the time, and Joey Sheehan, you might remember this, in the 90s, I got locked into a mortgage fixed rate of 11.75%. And a year later, it had fallen to 4 And I was stuck. You don't want to get stuck in that kind of a, a trap, do you? Good morning.
10: Good morning, Neil. No, um, well, today's announcement as a mortgage broker, a thirty-year mortgage, it's unprecedented um, in the Irish market. And if it's a Christmas morning for a mortgage broker, it's brilliant news. uh, Is it great news? It's great news for borrowers um, and house hunters, where you can effectively fix your rate for the full term of your mortgage, and you have no risk of increasing repayments, which be music to many people's ears. Mm. So this is a brilliant,
6: brilliant announcement By event. They're offering 30 years at 2.85% for 60, 60% loan to value. Now that means you've still got to have a handy chunk of change yourself to avail of this.
10: That's correct. You need 40% for that rate. However, they do offer it up to 90% loan and the rate goes up to 3.1%, which is still exceptional considering the best rate available from, uh, you know, one of the pillar banks will be around the 28 or 9%. And that would be fixed for a much shorter term, mm. so um so just just to reiterate that these these rates are available for ninety percent mortgage holders, but it is slightly higher at three point one
6: yeah yeah fixed rate long term fixed rates people have been talking about it for years why we weren't doing doing it here. why weren't we doing it here?
10: Well, I suppose the banks offering the money need to lock in the funding for that period of time, so there's a there, there's a risk in that and there's a cost in that. And the banks probably found it easier to, to borrow money on the markets for three years or five years and then lend it on to their customers and lock in their profit in between. So this is more of a European type model and Avant um are an international bank and, and they operate like this in other markets and they're they're, you know, from their point of view I'm sure they're they're making their profit in this and it's a great great offering for them and pe- people will avail of it, but it's also the knock on effect that it will have when other banks will have to sit up and, and take notes.
6: Yeah, will others have to follow suit here now?
10: Well, if somebody wants a 30-year mortgage, um, Avant Money have it. If somebody wants a 20-year mortgage, Finance Ireland have it. These are new lenders in the market. It's going to shake up the banks here. So depending on what kind of market share they eat into, the Irish banks will have to take note and, and just monitor it and mm. poten- potentially offer something similar. Yeah, outside of those
6: banks. two, outside of Avant and outside of Finance Ireland, like in the in the regular banks, shall we say, what's the longest fix you can get right now?
10: Generally around 10, 10 years would be, would be the max, aside from that. Yes. Um no, the long-term fixed rates aren't for everybody, uh, Neil. So if somebody thinks they're going to be, you know, buying a house now and they're going to be moving in a few years' time, now there are options to kind of port the rate with you, but you know there could be breakage fees. So they're not for everybody. But if somebody's buying
6: a house, breakage you know, fees if you need to get out of it.
10: Yeah. So if you come out of it early, um, there can be breakage fees of up to maybe two percent of the mortgage. So if you took a, a, a three hundred thousand mortgage and in the first ten years, if you were to come out of it, you could be paying. Two percent, which could be roughly six thousand uh, euro in breakage oh.
6: fee. This not be someone who would be coming towards the end of their mortgage and maybe inherited some money and said, "Right, I'm going to kill that off." There'd be a fee
7: involved.
10: Yeah. Well, there are there are overpayment options of ten percent. So if you if you did owe two hundred thousand, let's say you could pay twenty thousand per year uh, without penalty, uh, and as the as the balance reduces, it will be ten percent of the balance reducing. Yeah. So there there is some flexibility there, but absolutely, if you did pay off the whole thing early. You could you could pay a fee. So the fee the fee could be zero, it could be minimal, or it could be up to two percent, would be the maximum.
6: Be wary of it. Okay, Joey, thanks very much. That's Joey Sheehan, the mortgage coach. Those products available, I think, from June twenty fifth. And Joey, it's PJ. Thank you. <laughs> You're all right. Good man. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
3: dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
2: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call
3: 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
3: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
3: On Cork's 96FM
6: I love the gang on the proc I love the way they listen to the program And they commentate on it throughout I just wish they'd listen with both ears open They just accused me up there Of running an anti-vax segment In our first hour this morning NSC, I'm calling you out Gobshite, listen back Listen back. <laughs> I love you, boys. 1850 On alcohol, PJ, I often wonder if alcohol consumption was 21. If the age was 21 and enforced like the USA, would it change the drinking culture among younger people for the better? Or am I naive? I think it's that horse has probably bolted long ago, but I do see where you're coming from. We'll come back to this alcohol story a little bit later because Alcohol Action Ireland have welcomed what the WHO is saying and say it's a worthwhile initiative, the WHO. we so will come back to them in a wee while. Mary Jane, on the other hand, thinks that actually what's happening is now that the moderate drinker, the social drinker, will be demonised. And in a few years' time, others are saying, well, we'll be taxed out of existence and you'll be made as much of a pariah, if you like, a point, as some people are for liking a cigarette. We could be headed that way too. We'll see how it goes and come back to it later on. 1850 did you see Orrin H. Hall all lit up? very well lit up it, they, they light it up quite frequently now and it's because of the size of the building and the shape of the building and the fact that it's a huge big flat projection screen it looks great when it's lit up Sinn Féin TD Thomas Gould uh, you were behind this latest wonderful display what was it good morning good morning PJ
11: PJ what we did is I think we kicked off uh, Cork Sinn Féin uh, events to support uh, a united Ireland we thought that, like as you said, uh, other groups have used uh, the Aran Hayes Hall building to lay it up. Like we, it's been used for Patrick's Day and other events. So we thought it would be a good event to run in Cork. It's different, and like, what it does, it kind of kicks off our campaign and we'll be rolling out events, events right across Cork City and County, but also nationally.
6: When I saw it, Thomas, I had two thoughts. I said, first, that's nice and it looks well. But secondly, I thought your political timing could not have been worse. Your government partners in the North are eating themselves up. The North could be plunged into a snap election any minute. And an awful lot of it has to do with the border and border issues. And here you are looking for reunification in the middle of a political dispute in the North of which your party is part of the government. wasn't the best timing ever, Thomas.
11: First of all, PJs, this was organised months in advance because at the start of May we, we rolled a major banner off the side of the Flats, the Divock Flats in Belfast. I'm not sure if you saw that one. I did. And there'll be other events lined
6: out. Mm. But I'm just These, thinking the timing. Like, you could easily have put it off until, un, until what's going on in the I, north was sorted out.
11: I don't think the lads in the six in counties the will be obsessed by Sinn Féin cock. Up a do, you,
9: do you not
6: think? Do you not think no. so? When you consider that, wait a while now. You've got a big problem in your assembly up there right now. The DUP, you know, your reunification to the DUP is is a red rag to a bull, and and but, really, and you're in government yeah. with them there. So, like, you're in government with them there. You're you're having these big gestures down here. It's not the right look, Thomas. Well, no, look, he's I disagree with you, and I tell you why. Last week the uh,
11: Sinn Féin Councils led by Kenneth Collins and Eugene performed a motion to give to acknowledge Martin McCartan and Terence McSweeney with the freedom of the city yeah. and to be fair I want to mention uh, the, uh, count, uh, the Lord Mayor at the time uh, Joe Kavanaugh who took this, um, this proposal on board and ran with it and also the City Hall officials Because it had not been done in the past where someone was deceased. And this, uh, like, if you look at what we projected onto the building last night, it included Thomas McCartney, Tom Swackswini. Like, Peter, we have to work with the politics that we support. I know. The DUP have to do what they have to do for themselves. But you saw
6: how it went. You saw how it went down. It went down like a lead balloon when Leo Baradkar started talking about seeing reunification in his. Lifetime That didn't go down well up over the border either. And, and really, like, hold on, see on Tom, I'm going to be, very, be very straight here. Do we take the risk? Like, we're coming up to the 12th here. We're coming up to the 12th of July. And we all know how dodgy it can get around the 12th of July. And the last thing we need is to have an, an, an angry 12th of July. Where the unionist brethren, looking south and seeing what's going on down here, they'll they'll ramp up the arrogance. You, you don't want to be causing trouble coming into the marching season.
11: PJ, we are not looking to cause trouble. We're looking to start the debate. No, and can I say this? I welcome the Tornister's comments in relation to having the debate on the United. I'm sure, you do, but we, your government partners we,
6: in the north won't.
11: But can I say, PJ, we have to have the discussions with the DUP and the UUP and all different types of loyalists and unionism because...
6: But what's that got to end do the,
11: with Cork? This, this is about democracy, PJ. Like, in 1998, when the Good Friday Agreement was saying part of it was the, uh, there was a pattern for a referendum on the United Ireland, both north and south. Now, that was in 1998. That's 23 years ago. Mm-hmm. Surely, we're not looking... So we waited 23 years... ago.
6: I'd suggest that there were bigger have priorities at the years. moment.
11: Well,
6: PJ... Like, have is, been for a P. while.
11: Well, PJ, the problem...
6: Housing, healthcare.
11: No, no PJ, let's call a spade a spade. The problem in the six counties with the DUP and unionism is Brexit. Boris Johnson... Came out and when he was looking for leadership of the Tory party and to lead uh, the British government, he made promises to the people, to the DUP, and then he reneged on them. But yeah. the problem, like, we. you went across to. Hang
6: on, you went across to to Boris in Westminster to get a, a, a assura, assurances about this Irish Language Act. So, the, <laughs> Dioporos- the, DUP, the DUP nearly lost their collective melt over it.
11: But, Peter. Fifteen years ago, we signed up an agreement in relation to the Irish language, and it's not just the Irish language; it's culture, heritage, and it also includes yeah. the Ulster Scots, who would be, who a lot of unionists would recognise. And, and, and I know how I know how
6: passionately members of the party feel about that, and I do respect it. I do absolutely respect. But the other side of it too, Thomas Gould, do you think that most Cork people, listening to us this morning, in the four corners of the city and out into the country do they actually give a top knee course?
11: please they do, and you know why? I'm sure of that because people tell me there was there was people who tells you me yesterday. There was there was actually a man came down to the the, the 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 docks last night because he saw it on Facebook and he thought it was a fabulous idea. No, this man was telling me how you know, why isn't there more events being done? Why isn't there being more things being done? To remember our heritage and our culture.
6: Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, is the simple answer to that?
11: Yes, but even online and books and RT and more documentaries. But sure, geez, we is, we, we, have, we have
6: podcasts and documentaries and programs up the wazoo this year.
11: Well, what I would say is thank, thank God for uh, TG Cahar because some of the stuff they put out in relation to culture and history has been fabulous. Well, PG, I would say this to you we're looking to have a debate. What is wrong with having a beard? You know, no, you're saying that... Timing
6: would be better. Your be timing could enough. be better.
11: You, you're saying our timing could be better, right? But, PJ, should we be governed by fear? Should we be
6: governed... Common sense, if, if sense we better we more fear than fear? Well, can say political, fear? P- political political, acumen rather than fear. Surely when... The, and this is no, the point PJ, of... PJ, King...
11: if, if we were to stop talking about was soon is see today... I'm asking you, when well, can we stop talking? Will it be a month? Will it be six months? Will it be 15 years we are waiting for the Irish language bill? Do you think that's fair that the DUP and other parties up there who agreed, who signed up to this and know 15 years later they're still fighting
6: about it? They that's are, but they are still yeah? at, the, at this moment in time. And I remember the, t- the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. So... At this moment in time, there are bigger fish to fry. Far bigger but, fish to fry.
11: But PJ, this is going to take years. You see, people think we want a referendum next month. What we're talking about is have a debate now to look at what kind of Ireland people But people want.
6: are more worried about houses. They're more worried about health care. They're more worried about COVID-19. They're worried 100%. about vaccinations. They have no interest in debating the no, border PJ, right now.
11: you're wrong. And I'll tell you why you're wrong. Why would the toilets to come out last week in relation to United Ireland? Because they know... Because he's
6: Leo and he does that.
11: No, the, the reason they do it is they're looking at the polling figures and they're he's looking... He's playing at what, politics
6: with it. Of course he is.
11: And they're looking at what people are saying in the polls. And housing is the number one issue and health and jobs. But yeah. one of the top issues
6: in all these pollings is coming out is people want a referendum okay. on Here's it? the question: What would reunification? Okay, let, let, I, I accept. I accept what you're saying. What would reunification mean for me here right now? And Fergal and Katie and you? What would reunification mean tomorrow? I would suggest nothing.
11: Well, well please, I think it would. I think, I think there's a, there's a longing there for the Irish
6: people. Would it to put more money in English English my pocket? United.
11: No, Peter, it's not all about money. It's it's all of it is about
6: Would it give me any freedom that I don't already have?
11: No, Peter. Yeah. But what it would do is it would give us a island that would be united.
6: But sure but- I could get into my car tomorrow, Thomas, and I can drive across the border into those six counties, as I did on my holidays last summer. And I was I, I, well I, I, I was welcomed please, like one of their own.
11: This, I've done the same last year and the year before and I've often been in the six counties. But you know the thing about it, PJ? For people in the six counties, they want to be part of a top two country.
6: But sure should they can do the same? They country. can get into their cars and come down here yeah.
11: too? But PJ, at the end of the day, we're not here talking about democracy.
6: People should be given
11: the chance. And if they, if they don't force for it, well then our job is trying to change their minds, right. similar to what happened in Scotland.
6: That, There'd be a fair yeah. number of people up there wouldn't want reunification too. I mean, haven't they got a say in this?
11: They do, but that's why democracy...
6: Would it be a 32-county referendum, for example?
11: Yeah, well, what it is, it's, it's two referendums, one in the north and one in the south. And if we can get agreement on both... Um, agreement, so both. you
6: want... So And would it be a cumulative count or would you want both sides to agree...
11: Well, as far as I know, it's lined up that both jurisdictions
6: would have to pass it. So you'd have to get this referendum held on the same day, pretty much? Yes. Mm. yes. I you
11: remember, in relation to, we had a referendum in relation to the Good Friday... I recall it very we well. To to yeah. I voted for after, it, I mean,
6: if you don't mind me saying, I voted for it.
11: 90, 95% of people voted for it. Mm. But what we're saying is, and a what we don't want to do is to alienate the unionists. What we are saying to them, and to other people who might agree with my opinion, mm. what we are saying to them is, what kind of Ireland would you want? Like, you see how we've come on over the last number of years with the, the marriage equality bill. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's the kind of Ireland we, like, we... We fought for that in the six counties after it was passed in the '26, And the unionists and others blocked it. And then we have to get the British government to bring it in because it was wrong that uh, LGBT plus people were being treated differently. That's a debate. That, that, that's,
6: that, that's a kind of a, a kind of a different debate. But all well, I would well, say—it
11: well, It, it, it,
6: right. it does—but you said that you don't. Thing you, thing. you say that we're not going to be having any discussion or any any vote anytime soon. So we don't know what will have changed, Thomas. Always good to chat with you. I know that we have to move on to another call, but I just—I'm just wondering. Thanks, Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin for Cork North Central. And look, that display last night was gorgeous. It was really lovely. You know, it was beautifully put together and very well designed and looked spectacular. But I just thought. Christ lads, you're in government, three hundred miles away, and the whole thing is falling apart. We're coming into July, we're coming into the most the most tension laden month in Northern Ireland annually are you not are you helping the situation by putting these big projections up on the sides of buildings at this exact point in time, and besides, and I just I don't know about this. Like, of people listening to me this morning, right? Regardless of how you might feel with regard to North and South and six counties and 32 counties and all of that, do you actually care about the border? Do you actually care about reunification? Or are you more interested in getting proper services down here, proper housing, proper health, sorting out this pandemic? Do you actually care at all about the border. Because my experience last year when I went there on my holidays and hadn't been there for many, many years when I went around the north of Ireland last year, really I was just I was I was one of their own. I just had a different accent. That was how I felt 185715996 Can
7: we just talk
2: the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made
3: premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork
0: Cream. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.
7: Can we just talk
12: The Opinion Line with
2: PJ Coogan
3: Call us now
2: 1850-715-996 On Courts 96FM Alright, I just want
6: to know whether you care or not about the border Would it make a difference to your life? That's the question I think that Thomas wasn't answering Would it make a difference to my life and yours? to my children's lives and yours if the border was gone in the morning? Would it make a difference? And I cannot see how it would. That's just me. And any others besides, I reckon, who are half afraid to say that? 1850 715 Let's get back to this WHO Global Alcohol Action Plan, which says that women of childbearing age should be prevented from drinking alcohol. It goes further... Then I had originally analysed it where it said, if you want to have a child, don't drink. Ever. If you ever want to have a child, don't drink. But it goes further than that. The latest global alcohol plan calls for measures to be taken to prevent women drinking while they are of childbearing age. It's not going down well. But Alcohol Action Ireland has actually welcomed it. Union McKinney. Good morning.
13: Good morning, BJ. Why
6: have you welcomed it?
13: Well, the Irish Independent said I welcomed it, but that's, that's another story. I mean, what I said was that in the context of the draft global action plan that the WHO had published, that what they were seeking to try and do is to... One of the areas of action that they seek to ask member states, and remember we're talking about a global action plan, 198 nations across across the globe, is to undertake advocacy and awareness around some of the issues that relate to alcohol and pregnancy. And what they're asking nations to do is to consider putting in place strategies and interventions that would seek to risk reduce the risk uh, to the, the health of themselves and to others, and in mm. that instance, they highlight particularly you know initiatives around uh, the harm to others, preventing the initiation of drinking amongst children and adolescents, preventing drinking in pregnancy, and preventing fetal alcohol spectrum disorders mm. so that's what the actual that's what the action the draft action is actually talking about now there is undoubtedly and i do. You know, I did say this yesterday as well. Is that the language? The language that's in the draft document is 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 completely inappropriate, and it certainly speaks to a different era.
6: And here's but, the thing: we yeah. we did look around the various major news websites, CNN, BBC, many many more. Mm. All asked the WHO: Are you sure about the wording of this? And yeah. they haven't had a response. Like, it, yeah, could it be a draft? that slipped out the side door before the draft was edited and tidied up. That's what it looks like, but the WHO yeah. have said it's not.
13: Yeah, I think, well, I, don't, I haven't seen any commentary from the WHO. Because they haven't an issued right. any, that's why. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's fair enough. So but we can't say that it's, uh, what you, you know, in the context of what they're drafting is. Um, I think it, is, it undoubtedly is a draft. It's the first draft of an action plan, and you know the, the the member states across the world will be debating this next week in the first instance and it will go before a whole series of new consultation over the next year and a half before it actually is uh, agreed by the WHO and then subsequently agreed by uh, the member states themselves so like in the context of Ireland You know, like we have, over the last couple of years, we've been working to try and implement a thing called the Public Health Alcohol Act. And, you know, people would be familiar with some of the issues in that that have arisen, things like separation of alcohol in stores, um, minimum unit pricing in recent times has now begun, or will be beginning fairly shortly. Mm. All of those actions are fundamentally their foundation Mm. in what was the previous WHO.
6: But the interpretation of the wording of this... Draft is that now now you have the you have got the off license cordoned off with the with the doors out of the Wild West which I think are hilarious but anyway that's a different matter that women wouldn't be allowed in there ah well I think
13: no I think I think to be fair I mean there is undoubtedly as I recognise there is an inappropriateness about the language in the commentary in a paragraph one paragraph. On page seventeen of this document, sure, there are, but it does. It, it, what it, it is only commentary. What the actions is what the people need to focus on. What are the proposed actions that they're talking about? And the reason that they have that clumsy uh, commentary is that it feeds into an action which says governments across the globe should seek to put in place high impact strategies right. that would prevent drinking in pregnancy and and prevent fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So, and that's the reason And to case.
6: be fair. And, you know, you could go there, but let's not. But if you've ever seen a child in fetal alcohol distress, you don't want to see a second one.
13: No, you certainly don't. And, you know, let's be clear about that in the context, you know, alcohol can have a very adverse effect on pregnancy and childhood outcomes. I I know somebody, Uh, you you not. I'm not going to go there in that context. I I
6: know somebody who saw a child born with a hangover.
13: Yeah, well, I mean, that's... It, it, it is more profound than that, indeed. Because I know, but life, that's... How... Lifetime impacts on children. Yeah, children I know. I know. There's lifetime so, like, damage.
6: And that's a worldwide, so let's, problem. Let's a worldwide people, problem.
13: worldwide problem. Worldwide. Worldwide problem. Remind, worldwide, fact, that's exactly what I was going to say. So the WHO, in its documentation, in its research, knows that 7.7 births out of 100 globally are are, are, there, are the impact of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Now, it, it is incumbent on an organization like WHO who's responsible for global health, as it is with the pandemic and with COVID. You know, remember mm-hmm. that in that context. So they're simply trying to put in place, as I said, this is one action of 91 actions. And I think, you know, it has focused itself in one aspect on trying to encourage governments to put in place strategies to try and reduce drinking in
6: pregnancy and to prevent that fetal alcohol infection disorder. Are you 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 suggesting that, and some other callers have, are you suggesting that we should look at this draft or this report in a broader context, that, hey, it's not about us, it's about the whole world?
13: Well, I think two things. To be fair to people who are making the commentary in relation to the language, I think they're right. So, you know, from mm. the point of view of the drafting, I think this needs to be removed. We need to, you know, we need to advocate in relation to saying, listen, the language that's in this is inappropriate and it needs to be changed. But this, yes, on and on B, on a broader scale, people need to recognize that this is a global action problem, action plan, and there is a global problem in relation to the, out, the outcomes in relation to alcohol use during pregnancy and we need to address that and okay. that's what it's, it's endeavor to do
6: alright, good to talk with you that's Union McKinney from Action, Action Alcohol Ireland uh, so he didn't welcome the report he said the Irish Independent said he welcomed the report and he says very clearly that the wording is not what it should be the wording is very, very off so, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. And Kevin said, "Yeah, look, devil's advocate point here. The WHO is talking to two hundred countries and territories, not just Western Europe. On the whole border argument and the reunification, where it might go, and I'm wondering, do people care?" Okay. Craig says, Hi PJ, if the people of the North vote against the United Ireland, would Thomas accept the voice of the people and put the whole thing to bed? That's from Craig. Philomena, Thomas Gould is talking about reuniting Ireland and the Irish language, but my house is falling apart. Neither a council nor Thomas have helped me, despite my trying for nearly four years. He should worry about issues closer to home. I'm fuming. And then we're Irish and proud. Do they care about us on their marches? Leo came out saying we'll have a United Ireland in his lifetime. I think you're coming out with this is so wrong. The DUP are imploding on themselves and reneging on the agreement. I'm not too sure whether that's a, a kick at me for wondering do people care? I, I, and Leo playing Leo Leo playing politics with the whole thing. Leo sees political gain. Leo sees votes. Leo sees winning some votes back from moderate Sinn Feiners or people who lent their vote to Sinn Féin Leo sees them votes coming back to Fine Gael. there's a by-election in Dublin for goodness sake Sinn Féin are likely to take the seat of Fine Gael up there Leo is playing politics and don't forget that for a second a different PJ says I'm the former member of Sinn Féin I took reunification very seriously there'd have to be a whole series of complex negotiations involving things like pensions and who pays for them, ongoing medical treatment and so on The chances of any UK Prime Minister agreeing to paying for a lot of citizens of another country in the real world are nil. In the past, with other independent situations, the negotiations were hard and not a giveaway by the UK. If this were really going to happen, you'd almost have to have a very independent, devolved Northern Ireland government for a generation, paying into its own pot for all kinds of things with a view to possible independence. And and there's a thing. Do you honestly expect... Do you honestly expect in your sort of craziest hours that the people of Belfast and Derry and those other places are going to give up their NHS? Do you really think they're going to give up the NHS? They're not going to give up the NHS. They won't give up the NHS. And it- that's what they'd be doing if they'd reunified with us. Mick says it would make a huge difference. We would be controlled by one sovereign government. We'd be a wealthy country if we were. You think? Grace says, I can't believe the one-sided conversation I'm just listening to. Will PJ go up north and ask them not to have bonfires on the 12th of July and not to put a look-alike dummy of Irish politicians on top of the bonfire? We have a right to honour our past politicians and the RH Hall building was a lovely idea and not a bit hateful. PJ seems to be just speaking from the experience of a holiday and hasn't a clue. No, I just thought the political timing was naff. Grace, it was lovely. It was a fabulous display. And I have as much respect for McCourtney and McSweeney as any other man. But the timing, this turmoil, in the political turmoil in the North, political journalists in the North are saying that in years they've never observed anything like the implosion up there right now. Vincent Kearney, who's the the RTE Northern editor, was saying this morning, he said in 30 years as a journalist in that part of the world, he's never seen this kind of political shh. I, just craziness that's going on up there. There'll never be a right time, says John Long. Twelfth of July, you'll see the hate of the Unionists. You always show your dislike for any opinions except your own. No, I don't, John. I might disagree with them, don't dislike them. The twelfth of July, and what happens is horrible. I hate it. I wish it would. I wish it would never happen again. I wish they'd stop building bonfires. I wish they'd stop their marches. They want their... Mar- I, I hate what happens on the 12th of July. And my worry is that the kind of jiggery-pokery that's going on down here with people prattling on about reunification like Leo Bradkar prattling on about reunification in the middle of a by electing campaign to pull a few votes back from Sinn Féin. The 12th of July could get hairier because of that. That's just a fear I have. A group all the way down in Cork thinks they could have a say on the issue of the North. When a civil war takes off up there, would they go and help? Why wake a sleeping dragon? eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. And I would love to know if people actually care, other than those who are politically motivated or politically engaged. Do you care? Like I asked, I asked Thomas Gould a question, and he didn't answer it. Like if we were reunified tomorrow, what's in that for me? What's in that for you? What's in that for? The people who don't have a job. What's in that for the people who are so badly affected by the pandemic? What, what's in that for anybody down here? 1850 I can see myself being blocked by people who are in Sinn Féin right now. I know, I know, I know. It's Father's Day on Sunday. So a little bit of an idea for you. This is totally different, right? A little bit of a Father's Day on Sunday. And what's the daftest thing your Aufla has ever done? We've all had those, that mo- those moments with our fathers um, where they just did something that we went, Dad, 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 you love them dearly. And when they're gone, you miss them with every fibre of their being of your being, but the daftest things that they used to do. What were the daftest things they used to do? I get a little story about my own dad, God bless him. He would go to a restaurant and he, he didn't like this idea that you had three forks, three knives, two spoons... You know, you had a small canteen of cutlery in front of you. He didn't like it. And he would always <laughs> to, to select the two he wanted to use and just push everything neatly out of the way. But my mother tells a story of <laughs> of the first time they were at such a do. And he was confronted by this fuss. Knife, knife, fork, fork, spoon, spoon, spoon. And the next thing she looked, he was going through, to the next thing she looked over and, and He'd only had a one and set of everything left. And she said, Patty, where 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 where's the rest of them? <laughs> He'd wrapped them in his napkin and put them under the chair. Those kind of dad memories. Oh wait three.
2: Three ninety six
7: 396-96-96. Can we just talk?
2: The opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread
3: 100% Natural and Made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 96 96
6: on Cork's 96 FM. See, we're at a very important time for the industry. Uh, Corkman has been named President of the Irish Hospitality Institute and at the time when the hospitality industry is slowly, painfully slowly coming out from under the restrictions of the last uh, 12 months or 6 months at least uh, Brian Bowler from the Montanotti Hotel is taking over as President Congratulations Brian, good morning
14: Thanks CJ, good morning, how are you?
6: Good, it's a difficult time to be putting on that Presidential chain of office
14: um, it is, I suppose, but it's it's also a very exciting time as well, PJ. I suppose, and um, you know, in terms of timing, that like we're hopefully coming out the other side of what has been a, a, a an horrific uh, year and a half for for the industry. And um, so, I'm I'm really excited actually just about the challenges that that lay ahead. Um I suppose, like the IHI's kind of role really is slightly different from say the Irish Hotel Federation. Uh, in that, like I, I suppose we we play kind of a, a key role in the promotion of careers. Uh, within the hospitality and tourism sector um, and I I, I suppose before COVID our industry was Ireland's most diverse and and of largest in the Indigenous area of employment. Um, and uh, like we had over 270,000 people employed in the industry. And, you know, with the pandemic, we would have seen 160,000 temporary job losses in that time. So I think in terms of timing, we're seeing a lot of those <clears throat> temporary job losses being restored now at the moment, you know, so which is great, but I suppose the big challenge that's there in the tourism and hospitality industry is that there's a lack of actual people yeah. Getting into the industry and working in the industry and wanting to work in the industry and yeah. and of course we lost a lot of good people as well because you know with the most recent lockdown it was quite a long one and it was difficult for people and I suppose like you know even in my own experience like we would have lost very experienced managers who had made a career out of the industry and just, just like you know but the very nature like the, the workers like you know when they want to keep going and the whole lot and just kind of I suppose um, they got opportunities and in fact like a lot of people in the industry were, were headhunted by, by uh, other companies because they had very strong leadership skills and very strong people skills as well you know so we've suffered unfortunately uh, as a result of one of the late, later industries to get back on their feet in terms of reopening you know so um, so really there's, there's a big rebuilding job to be done there like you know in terms of getting people back in working in, in the tourism industry,
6: do you think it's possible to get back to the pre-COVID levels of employment?
14: I do. I, I think it is possible. It's going to be. It's going to be a, a kind of a slow enough recovery in terms of getting back to the, the, the pre-COVID levels of business in the first place, which which will drive that. Uh, need for employment, but like we will get there. There's, there's no two ways about it. Like Ireland is, is world renowned in terms of its its hospitality and uh, such a welcoming place to, to be. And you look at a place like Cork, which it, it isn't just about tourism either, particularly in the city. Like, you know, the, the, the corporate side of things for hotels is vitally important. Uh, Cork is well known for having some fantastic international, uh, multinational companies with European HQs in Cork. And with those come a lot of uh, business in, in the what would be traditionally known as the leaner months or the shoulder months. You know, you take a month like September, for example, for us would be one of our biggest months of the year. Like, we, we would be very busy with those business people midweek having conferences or people who are coming over for work and travelling from all over the world, flying into Cork Airport. And uh, and then our weekends we'll be busy with, with the leisure guests. But, you know, while we're kind of, I suppose, confident that we'll have a, a relatively decent summer, there's a lot of uncertainty for this coming September, between September of this year and maybe since up till maybe St. Patrick's Day. And is that because
6: books that would normally be bulging are half empty? Uh,
14: Sorry, PJ? Is that
6: because books that would normally be bulging are half empty or uncertainty over the pandemic or what?
14: Uh, both really, I suppose, you know I mean, I'm, I'm kind of excited about having a good summer and a good summer to me this year isn't, you couldn't compare it to the summer of 2018 or 2019 you know, um, like it would be a relatively good summer given everything that's happened um, and, and we're quite happy uh, to, to get that but like, you just couldn't compare it to, to pre-COVID business levels, you know, um, but you know, it's it's a domestic Irish market and the kids will go back to school and everybody's holidays will be finished come around the 1st of September, you know, September might be okay. We'll have a still a bit of leisure there, maybe. But, but really, kind of mid September onwards, you know, people are back to work, the kids are back at school, and it's weekend business only, like until that, mm. until that kind of corporate international travel and all that kind of gets back going and again, you know. Yeah,
6: we're we'll probably talking early twenty two for that. Just before yeah. I let you go, anecdotally, uh, Brian, we hear a lot about businesses struggling to get their staff back as they reopen. <laughs> partly. Partly, anyway, because of the 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 PUP and the, the the levels of the PUP. Have you come across any of that?
14: Um, I, I can only speak for for myself here in Montanati and in that regard, and we haven't had any issue with that here in the hotel. I think people were very very happy to get back into work and. Uh, like it's it's you know it, it just brought when people come back There was maybe up to 40 staff here kind of on a part time basis up until we reopened or maybe two weeks before reopening where we started training new staff and that and just the vibrancy and all the new staff and the returning staff brought it. I met a regular guest of ours yesterday and, and uh, like we were open for, for essential workers during the during the pandemic mm-hmm. and even in e-commerce so I would like just the energy in the place again it's fantastic and I think mean, people want that like you know and uh, we, we, but look we we just haven't had any issue with that regard here good, in the Montana.
6: Well here's hoping that everybody has a has a, a, a long and successful return and that as the Taoiseach said in the week in politics a few weeks ago, Brian, and I'm sure you would echo this and shout it from the rooftops as it were, from that wonderful panoramic view up there, once you open, we never want to close again.
14: Absolutely. <laughs> couldn't couldn't say it better and and a day like today looking out oh, on Paris here in the Montana. I envy you, Brian. Yeah. I envy You're, you where
6: else would you get it? That's gorgeous. Listen, thank you. And congratulations on the new election as president of the Irish Hospitality Institute. That's Brian Bowler of the Montanati Hotel. I'm going to stay with hospitality um, because uh, Fiona has been compiling another one of her Cork versus COVID packages for us. Uh, I wasn't going to hold this until the last hour for Fergal, but just the time, the clock allows it now. So it's a nice tie-in with my conversation with... Brian Boulder, for this week's Cork versus COVID. uh, Fiona Corcoran has been taking a look at uh, the hospitality industry, the return of hospitality and particularly outdoor dining.
15: Thursday lunchtime and the Huguenot Quarter in Cork City is alive with the smell of food and the sound of chatter. The area, which includes French Church Street, Kerry's Lane and the Rory Gallagher Square, has been pedestrianised since the mid-80s and has always had an element of outdoor dining. But the pandemic has brought that to a new level, as Jeff Sefer-Hamidi of Koto Asian Restaurant explains. So we've
8: now two kind of privacy kind of windbreakers on the side of this street. The wind goes the right way down um, and, you know, we have our heaters, we have our canopy. The yeah. sun the windbreakers, so it's it's definitely a much bigger part of the business, and it definitely will continue to be in the future. So um, it's great now that they kind of eases interest into a little bit with the outdoor, because if we went straight into indoor, um, and it's it's nice thing, you know a buzz in this in the streets, you know there's a bit of life back in the city.
15: People in Cork are embracing the outdoor dining experience, and Ursula Hales of Amicus says it's been hugely positive for the city. It's brought back a much needed life to the city. Um, during lockdown obviously you know with everything shut down the city was a very very different space and I think now with things reopening having the outdoor dining element just brings a vibrancy to the city that the city really, really needs. Also welcoming that vibrancy is Michael Ryan of Cockbull. It's
1: been been a great buzz around. Um, a lot of people are just delighted to be out. So even if there is a bit of drizzle, they don't care, you know. And uh, the wind. So uh, you saw me fixing umbrellas a while ago. So you know, that's, there's challenges to it. But it's like to have the staff back working, putting food on plates again. It's just an awesome feeling, and it's been. I it's fantastic after all this length of time to actually be interacting with people again properly and not on the screen.
15: As well as overcoming the challenges of the Irish weather, Aidan Duke of Duke's Coffee Company says outdoor space can be an issue.
16: We all have tables, we, we all have awnings, we all did outdoor dining forever, um, but I guess we're, we're every, every square inch of free space we're putting tables now, you know, in a safe way. Um, it's challenging because... Part of the charm of the of the Huguenot Quarter is these narrow, lovely streets, and if we overfill them with tables and stuff, there might be issues for pedestrians.
15: Michael Ryan says the pandemic has forced them to make the most of their outdoor spaces.
1: We've always had our outdoor spaces, but I suppose that since people can't go inside, we've been able to enhance those spaces even more because they have to be outside. And I think it, there's going to be a bit of a shift and mind shift with people that they want to stay outside now. Some parts, you know, while the weather is somewhat good, but you can see a lot of places have put up new heaters, parasols. So there's big effort put in that I think that we that people can stay out longer if they wish in different through the year. As you can see from the buzz on the street, people walking around. You wouldn't believe this two years ago, that this vibe could be here at lunchtime.
15: Although it's a welcome relief to be serving customers again, restaurant owners like Ursula Hales are looking forward to having people inside again. We're limited with the space that we have here. We have a slight couple of extra tables just outside it. Obviously, we're very much looking forward to getting indoor. Um, reopened our outdoor space is nothing in comparison to the capacity that we have indoors, but it certainly has been a, a great kickstart and a great way to give the city a boost. But while their customer numbers are not at peak capacity just yet, Jeff Safer Hamidi says it's great to be able to do what they love again. It's
8: all about the people. Um, we were doing takeaway for a while, like to keep all the staff, the whole team involved, but it, it's not the same. You know, it was very quick, you know, here's your takeaway, goodbye, thanks very much. <laughs> Whereas this way, you know, you get to talk to people, they're sitting down, you know, there's the whole experience from start to finish. It's, the, it's a whole rounded
15: product. And Aidan Duke says praise must be given to Cork City Council.
8: In fairness, they, it,
16: they're so progressive and they're so open and they're so w- willing to embrace uh, the outdoor dining and experience. It's just not about dining, it's about, you know, the arts, the culture, just enjoying the city again. You know, and there's re- retail and, and personal care and beauty and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's, it's great. And, you know, I think, is there 17 streets p- pedestrianised now? So,
7: I mean, it, it's brilliant.
6: Yeah, nice to see you. I'm hoping to get out at some stage this weekend. It's great and the weather will hopefully be with us today and maybe tomorrow. Sunday looks a bit grotty at this stage, but it would be very, very nice. Just on United Ireland, Mick Nugent was on to say, United Ireland is not about fusing the 26 and the 6. It's about a new republic base. Based on the 1916 proclamation, there will be a difference to the everyday lives of the Irish people. I ask again, do you really think the people of Belfast and Derry will give up their NHS? Just think hard about that one. Listen, quick mention of this, and it's come in, and I'm very happy to do it. Hi PJ, if you see this, could you please, please wish my beautiful cousin Cameron Blair a heavenly birthday? He would have been 22 today. Thank you.
7: Can we
2: just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM with
3: dairy made premium spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
6: Let's look at the weekend weather-wise. Well, today is what it is. Look out. That's lovely. They're saying a for 19 degrees. But if you're in a nice little sun trap, nice little spot, sun spot, it'll feel like the low 20s. It's going to be a lovely afternoon. Tomorrow. A bit more cloud and a sort of a 20-25% chance of rain your max in that little sunspot about 17-18 degrees Sunday looks manky I am not mind telling you now Round 18 degrees and a fair amount of rain about Whether it'll be heavy, I don't know, but it does look quite manky for Sunday. Manky again for Monday. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week, we're getting up into the low 20s with some afternoon sunshine and very little rain. So that'll be nice. But tomorrow and or today rather than Saturday, looking okay.
2: Cork's 96FM's Free Speaker Frenzy. With Blackpool
3: fully opened up. It's great to be back. See blackpool.ie.
2: Do you want
6: it? I never felt this good. Yeah, and more on that Netflix documentary And a few more things that you might watch over the weekend coming up The golf is on, of course The golf is on until all hours of the morning I was looking at it last night, I was watching I said, right, I'll watch Rory McIlroy now for an hour or two Before I go to bed And then I realised, because of the time difference And because there was a fog delay in California He was going to be playing until about 3 o'clock in the morning I said, Saw that, Saw that But that's on all over the weekend on Sky Sports. Right, it is free speaker frenzy. Lots of cool new smart speakers to give away every day, listening to win across the day. And we're giving you the cue to call now. So you just text the word speaker with your name to text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. The word speaker by text or WhatsApp to oh, and your name of course to 083 396 96 96 we'll call a winner back and have a quick chat with them on the radio and they'll have to give me the phrase that pays the magic words play Corks 96 FM and then they'll win another one of our dozens of free speakers it's with Blackpool fully opened up great to be back see blackpool.ie for more info that documentary by the way it's called Hating Peter Tatchell and it's on Netflix it's very 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 good very very good and there's lots more on Netflix we'll talk about that in a wee while but something else you might want to do this weekend is perhaps set up your own cocktail bar and we talked a few weeks ago to Andy from Cask about the popularity of people doing their own cocktails and learning their own cocktails and the lads were bottling cocktails so they could take them home the idea of setting up your own cocktail bar It's another creativity project as we come out of lockdown. Might be nice to keep some of the lockdown ideas for the future. Uh, Andy, good morning to you.
16: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
6: Good. So what would one need to set up a home Uh, cocktail bar of one's own? A shaker, obviously, but stuff to put in it.
16: Yeah, I mean, look, I suppose it's like anything. You, it depends how much you wanna, how much you wanna spend, how much you wanna invest, and in, and and how crazy, crazy you want to go. You know, some basic equipment would definitely be, um, would be handy. Um, a good ice bucket would be handy. Maybe a small fridge for keeping some of your vermouths in and things like that. But um, it's all about imagination, really, to be honest with you. Yeah.
6: In terms, most most cocktails that you'd make would be made with what you'd have a vodka and a gin and maybe a brandy and a few more things like that.
16: Yeah, I mean, there's kind of five basic kind of categories of spirits which we, you would generally feature on most cocktail menus. Vodka and gin would would be one, like you said. Obviously, whiskey would feature quite quite um, quite high up the list, especially with the kind of emergence of Irish whiskey as a, at the forefront of, of the whiskey industry in the last kind of decade or so. Um, you'd often have a rum drink. If you think about drinks like a mojito and a daiquiri, they're hugely yeah. popular. And then tequila as well. Tequila's a bit of a funny one in Ireland. I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's probably a few experiences of college days or something. We're yeah. not as big uh, tequila drinkers as, as we are, but people still love, you know, they love a margarita or they love a nice strawberry margarita. So and you, you know
6: you went too far with the tequila slammers if you wake up with a bruised forehead.
16: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think we all just have one of those spirits that we may be slightly overindulged in, in, in our youth. Mine is, mine is Malibu. The smell <laughs> of it still kind of gives me, uh, gives, me um, gives my stomach churns. Yeah yeah
6: yeah yeah I was like that would put jean, but that's not gold there or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Play, yeah and I would, you, any- would, would, would one want to invest I know that the my missus invested recently she was just pottering around one of the hardware shops and she found an ice crusher and she's like a child with new toy
16: brilliant yeah I mean look a good a good clean tea towel and a and a rolling pin will also crush, crush the ice for you, you know what I mean? So, um, do you know what? It's lovely, especially kind of as, looks the weather's beautiful today. Like, I think having building a little outside bar can be an awful lot of fun, yeah. especially if, you know, if you're a young family and you don't necessarily want to have too much booze around the kids. Having a little area where the adults can go in the evening and having that little kind of space for yourselves where you can have a little simple bar. And I mean, look, it's a bar really is about the counter. You know what I mean? I suppose a lot of us, funny a lot of us spend so much time behind the counter it almost comes like part of our dna and then when you have to step out in front of the counter you really miss that kind of security blanket of this lovely bit of wood in front of you you know so you could easily pick up in in one of the hardware stores you could pick up a nice little simple um basic bar for yourself and having it outside under a tree in the garden somewhere like that can be can be a lovely experience you know but like i was saying you'd have your, your basic spirits um i suppose like sweet and sour is a big part of making cocktails when you're learning about the basics you know it's sort of you can balance you can balance a lot of those harsher spirits by adding a little bit of sugar syrup and a little bit of citrus and and then adding your little bit of fruit juice or your soda water or anything like that um look at the moment if you could drive around everywhere you'd see lots of elderflower out elderflower cordials. is something that a lot of us love to make with with our kids and again like that's a wonderful ingredient to make a very simple kind of long summery gin cocktail yeah. Um, mint would be another one mint grows beautifully simple in the garden look it's, it's a weed you just you whack it in to be honest with you you, you probably need to be careful it doesn't take over um, but again mint is a lovely ingredient you could you know go on YouTube and watch how to make a watch how to make yeah, a I mean, was just going
6: to ask you are there is it YouTube videos are out there or are there would you recommend for example a book for, for the beginner
16: do you know what? There's an incredible website that we all use as as cocktail bartenders, and it's called the Diffords Guide. Is it? Simon Diffords started it about ten years ago, and it's um. Look, there's so many of them. Like anything on the internet, there's a you know there's a plethora of information out there. But the Diffords Guide is kind of the go to if you want to learn how to make a really good kind of classic cocktails. Spell spell that for me, Andy. So it's Differd, D I F F O okay. R D. It's called the the Differd Guide, a wonderful free free resource for people. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, you do need to be careful. A lot of the YouTube videos are are quite horrendously awful, you know, and, and will will give you misinformation. But look, that's fun well as well, you know.
6: <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay, The different guide and just the basics. And I love that idea. Actually, I love that idea of a little outside space. Yeah. And maybe yeah. put maybe put one of these, you know, these cooler boxes that you can buy. Yeah. Maybe build yeah. one of those into a wooden. Yeah. top that'd be a lovely idea
16: exactly yeah and i mean even for glassware as well we get an awful lot of our glassware from second-hand shops around cork now we you know we would have a little bit of a sustainable ethos so if we can we'll try and reuse things but if you go around any of any of the the, the charity shops around north main street or anything like that you pick up some beautiful little glassware yeah. for next to nothing as well And yeah. it's a very different experience drinking a nice cocktail out of a out of a lovely old tumbler or a nice yeah. old kind of crystal glass that you got from from the Simon shop you know what I mean as opposed to just getting a generic one from 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 a supermarket or nice, whatever nice you know, because, idea you'll soon have yeah. the
6: most popular back garden in town Andy thanks very much Andy Ferreira from Cask uh, Cocktails down beneath us here on McCorton Street setting up your own home cocktail bar I like that though the Difford D-I-F-F-O-R-D the Difford guide uh, all the information that you need is there thank you Cork's
2: 96FM's free speaker frenzy
3: with Blackpool fully opened up it's great
6: to
0: be back see blackpool.ie do you want it I
6: never felt this we are up the walls again with this competition one of our most popular for a very very long time loads and loads of smart speakers to be given away Linda Murphy is in Banduff County Cork hi Linda
4: Hi PK, how are we?
6: I'm very well, very well. How are you this fine, sunny Friday?
4: Oh, uh, I'm good. Looking out the window at the sun, yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> You're
6: looking out? Why? Are you stuck yeah. working or something?
4: I am, yeah. I'm working in uh, the St. DePaul shop, uh, charity shop up in Mayfield. Oh, so. I know
6: it well. I know yeah, it well. Yeah. Haven't, haven't been up there for a while now. but I. Uh,
4: well, we've, we've just got a new uh, paint job and everything, so we're, we're looking
6: well. Yeah, have you got books up there? we have oh I must be up for a browse because my holidays are coming up and I'll be buying me books I think that's what I'll do I'll pop up and see well, you up there they're always right.
4: needed <laughs> what
6: is the magic words Linda
4: play 96FM
6: try it again you need to hit the corks in play corks
15: play corks 96FM play corks
6: 96FM, <laughs> 96FM. alright we'll let you in i tell you why because if you just say play 96FM you get something from Australia that you won't recognise at all oh
7: really yeah. oh lord <laughs> yeah
6: right, so play Cox 96 Linda you're our latest winner I'll put you back on there to Fergal thank you Mike get a few more details thank you have a nice weekend hope you're not working too hard and yes another winner another winner on free speaker frenzy with Cork's 96 FM um, Wayne is in for the afternoon he will have more winners then uh, Lorraine in the evening time simply listen for the cue to text or WhatsApp and then when we call you back just tell us the praise that pays play Cork's 96 FM and you will win a new smart speaker with Blackpool fully opened up and great to be back see blackpool.ie and stay listening to win only on Cork's 96 FM
7: can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy
3: Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Text or WhatsApp now, 83
2: 396 On Cork's 96FM. Looking for some of the maddest things that
6: your dad has ever done. The crazy things, he'd go, only my dad would do that. Only my dad would get away with that. And it made him or makes him what he is. Eugene says 10 years ago, we used to get calls about our computer being broken and that it needed to be fixed. I'd give the phone to my dad knowing that he was fairly deaf, you see. So for about five minutes, all I heard was, hello, speak up. Hello, I can't hear you, girl. Hello, hello. After about six months, this, they must have just red-listed us because we haven't heard from them since. And Veve is in Madrid. One memory comes to mind when I was very young, maybe about four. My dad was teaching us to download a headstand. To what? Down? Oh, to do a a headstand. Sorry, (laughs) how to do a headstand. All right, thanks. And my little sister Olivia and I were fascinated. I remember him showing us how to balance and bring your legs up slowly. I remember my dad shouting at him, Michael, cop yourself on, you big ape. And the very next second, my dad toppled over and put his foot straight through the window. Fortunately, he had shoes on and did no harm to himself. And my sister and I fell around the place laughing. My mother was less than amused. There were many squeals of laughter in our house over the years with dad messing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael, cop yourself on, you big fool. Another Michael. My father was a frequent visitor to Thompson's in Princess Street. I remember it well. One day he put his driver's license under the leg of his table to steady it and, of course, walked away, forgetting to take back the license. Some days later, a very nice waitress handed him back his license when he was back at the cafe. He hadn't realized at all what he'd done, and that comes from Michael Jr., Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I watched a bit of this last night I didn't get to see it all I look forward to going back and watching the rest of it over the weekend I remember the main protagonist in this very very well so it was kind of revisiting history with which I was very very familiar this is a new documentary on Netflix about a guy called Peter Tatchell, the last two voices on that promo were Elton John and, and Stephen Fry uh, and Elton John and his husband David they have produced I think the the programme Hating Peter Thatchell and uh, it's narrated and much of the interviewing is done by none other than Sir Ian McKellen it's a really it's just a galaxy of stars in a way paying tribute to Peter Tatchell, uh, Orla Condon, journalist and podcaster, joins me as always to talk about television. You've watched it, Orla. Very impressive. You'd be, mo- you, you'd be younger than me, but you, do you remember Tatchell in his heyday? Good morning.
4: Uh, good morning. I don't. I don't have that kind of encyclopedic background of him. Uh, but maybe as much as you do. I, various clips in it are familiar to me, but not um, not this kind of fifty years of chronicling kind of his activism in. in for you know the LGBTQ plus community, um, so a lot of it is is new information to me, and even just hearing references to the first Pride in London and things like that, and mm. how he was instrumental in those events and those protests, um, both in the UK and worldwide, is is kind of it's giving more context to these clips that I've kind of seen mm. in passing in different documentaries over the years. Um, but yeah, but like you said, there's a, an endless list of impressive um, contributors on it other than Peter himself. And like you said, Ian McKellen is having kind of a one to one conversation with him throughout the documentary, uh, focusing back on moments of his activism that maybe were popular, but also unpopular. And I think that's what's quite interesting about the documentary is Mm. that they're giving both sides of the coin. They show that, you know, while while he might have been unpopular to much of the Kind of many homophobic people that was always to be expected but how he was also sometimes unpopular to members of the lgbtq plus community for the kind of moves and decisions that he chose to take um, in order for him in his mind to get the desired outcome
6: there were times when he went too far and to be fair that was my my concern when i started the documentary will they talk about the times when he went too far and they do They
4: do, yeah, they do. I mean, kind of one of the first points where we see that in the documentary is when um, he makes the decision to out uh, a bishop in the church as being a gay man. Um, And Ian McKellen, you know, talks to him about that. And definitely some of the contributors are saying that we didn't think that was the right decision. It was not his place to make that decision on behalf of someone else. Um, And we see footage of him kind of appearing on different kind of prime time type shows And getting a lot of backlash for that and and a lot of members of the LGBTQ plus community saying that this only hindered the movement and, and, you know, added kind of fuel to the fire of what Mm. many believed to be um, the truth about the community. So I'm glad that they're not ashamed or nervous to touch on those moments, because I think he defends himself well in that, like he kind of admits that maybe it wasn't. In your mind, the right way to do it, mm. but is do the ends justify the means and I think yeah. they don't try and answer that for you. I think they kind of leave that up to the viewer like do you think do. this was a, a right step yeah. but yeah i'm glad that they kind of you know they they give context to the to the uh, title that you heard there in the clip of him yeah. being the most hated man in Britain—they kind of give context as to why that was.
6: He's also shockingly well. He looks shockingly well for his age. <laughs> he's oh, a man. Who's disgraceful. A lo- hmm? disgraceful how well he's age. He's disgraceful how well he looks for his age, and he's still still as articulate and bright as he ever was. And you know something? In the context of a show that we talked about on this program, I'm not too sure if you talked to me about it, Orla, but I know we we certainly covered it. The It's a Sin on Channel Four earlier this year, yeah. having watched that series and then to watch that documentary it actually is a very interesting follow on for anyone who was a fan of of It's a Sin so it's well worth a look, called Hating Peter Tatchell on Netflix, anything else for us
4: It's kind of one of those times of year where we're in a bit of a lull in TV land. So things are kind of quiet. We've a few things like this, documentaries coming out, but generally they're kind of calming down. We're ramping up into kind of reality TV season now over the summer. And so kind of May and June is always a bit of a... It's always a bit quieter in Tellyland. I think mm. they're thinking that we're out living our lives and stuff, but I don't know. That's not me, PJ. I'm at home watching Telly mm. morning tonight. So I don't know what they think I'm meant to do. But yeah, it's kind of a quiet time for, for TV fans that are looking for something new to watch. We had a new Marvel series. Loki is the new Marvel series on Disney+. Plus. Kind of one of the only big things talking about in TV Land over the last few weeks. But no, yeah. no big, big kind of dramas. Mayor of Town is just finished, which was brilliant. That was if you brilliant. Haven't finished. Oh, it was brilliant. I think she's like gonna a- win
6: she's gonna win all rounder come awards season.
4: Oh, like create every award and accolade for Kate Winslet in that show. She was absolutely incredible. But that mm. yeah, like that was kind of the last thing I think that was kind of grabbing audiences mm. attention for, for the week on weeks that it was being released. But yeah, we're in that kind of a dip. This is a good, good documentary to fill your time though if you're looking for something. And especially at the minute it's Pride Month in Ireland and we're seeing that a lot of these homophobic attitudes are still unfortunately alive and well with you know, the pride flags being removed in Waterford yes. and Panty Bar getting, you know, faced with, with, um, with graffiti and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, 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 a, it's a good time to watch something like this and see kind of the groundwork that's been laid by people like
6: Peter Hatchell. I watched two episodes, I had an opportunity to watch the first two episodes of Murder at the Cottage, which is the Sophie documentary that drops on Sky on Sunday made by Jim Sheridan. Have you seen it already?
4: I haven't, and I just got the preview myself for the Netflix documentary on the same story that's coming out next week as well. So there's a lot of those coming out all around the same time, which is interesting.
6: Yeah, yeah. there's two, two of those in particular, and I won't spoil the, the Sheridan one for you, but shall we just say this? He, in, in the opening line, he describes himself as a storyteller. And of all yeah. the books I've read, and of all the documentaries I've watched, I've never heard this story told with such passion.
4: And and isn't it a story we have heard so much, yeah. I always kind of think, you know, especially for Cork, for Cork people and, you know, what new is going to be brought to this that we yeah. don't already know having kind of grown up watching it, you know. The wonderful so thing about years. it is
6: Sheridan and you and I both know like, what, what a genius of a man, the stuff he's done, yeah. and the stuff he's made. He has inserted himself as the central narrator in the story. He is doing the interviews. He is telling the story. He is leaving the long pauses and the recreations, and the the juxtapos- ju- juxtaposition of old news archive with new recreations. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's well worth. Interesting well. to
4: see how it holds up against the Netflix one. I Have you had a chance Netflix to watch that one? No, the preview is only out today. So I'm going to go. I'm going to watch that over the weekend. Um, and right. kind of all the all the reviews will be coming out next week, so I'm excited to see kind of how that holds up yeah, again.
6: Fantastic! A, I don't know if you watched this sense. movie. I, I have kind of tagged it for the weekend to maybe take a look at it in a quiet moment. It looks like something I'd be into. Awake.
4: Yeah, in it, it, it London on Netflix, right? It, yeah, it just
6: knew, yeah, yeah. Awake is a it's a science fiction thing about it's kind of an event that happens and then nobody can go to sleep
4: misery like is it not has that not been the heat wave over the last couple of weeks that we've all been <laughs> suffering unable to fall asleep at night i don't need to watch a two-hour film about the same thing
6: yeah katie katie here has seen it she said it's class stuck with her for ages so i might, I might and it's only like and it's not only like a hundred minutes or something so i might sit and watch that Maniflu, But all the, yeah. the big recommendation for the weekend definitely if you're into documentary would be uh, hating peter Tatchell.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, a good one to tune
6: into. All right, good to speak with you. As always, that's uh, Orla Condon, a journalist and podcaster. uh, Awake. According to Katie, is just class. Uh, the Murder at the Cottage drops on Sunday on Sky Crime, all five episodes together. If I'm here on Monday morning, barely able to keep my eyes open, you'll know that one or two things have happened. One, I've watched the whole lot of Murder at the Cottage. Or two, Rory McIlroy has won the golf and have been up till all hours of the goddamn morning. We shall see. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Where's the Bolton? Oh, there.
7: Can we just talk?
2: The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made
3: Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
3: Call us
2: now, 1850-715-996. On courts 96FM.
6: Quick one for you. Yesterday we were talking to Kathleen Reardon. She has the raffle going on to win a beautiful, off-the-grid, eco-tiny house. Remember we were talking about that. It's got solar, very high spec, inside and out, uh, batteries, solar panels, built to the highest standards. And it's got a lifetime guarantee from the manufacturers. Now, five percent of all the proceeds will be shared between the Simon and Cork Penny dinners, and provided that the ticket sales reach their target, tickets are around eleven euro each, and they're on sale right now. If you want to look at that, and there's a bit of time to go, if you want to look at that, just go into Raffle R A F A L L R A F A L L. It's a bit like GoFundMe, but it's it's Raffle R A F A L L, and then when you get into Raffle you key in 224433, 224433, and that will get you to the appropriate page to see the tiny house and take part in that draw. 1850 some stuff on the north. Uh, we were talking with uh, Councillor Thomas Gould... Earlier on this morning about the display that was on Rnh Hall last night, and I was just chewing the fat with Thomas for a few minutes about the whole reunification thing. I was saying it's only right to call out what Leo Varadkar did recently when he said, "Oh, I see a United Ireland in my lifetime." That is pure political gamesmanship on behalf of Leo Baradkar, there's a by-election in Dublin, they're in danger of losing the seat that they hold to Sinn Féin, in grave danger of losing it, so clearly any soft voters that he might be able to, atta- to, to re-attract, uh, he's saying that. That's a political game, and if you don't see that, then you probably shouldn't be allowed vote in, in the first place. And then, you know, with the... Chaos in the DUP, absolute chaos. Journalists who've been covering this for 30 years or more saying they've never seen any political party up there in such chaos as they have in the last 24 hours. Just putting it to, to Thomas, whether this was the time, the right time to be sort of provoking the argument about reunification when they are in government in the north and, and have to live with the DUP and do business with the DUP. And the DOP, of course, also very, very pissed off, let's call a spade a spade here, because in order to get the Irish Language Act through, Sinn Féin went to London and said to Boris's people, well, if we can't get the DUP to do it, will you do it? So they did. They said they will do it. That's all going down like... But it, it broadened out to the question of who really wants a united Ireland anyway? Do, does it mean as much to people as Thomas seems to think it does? Patrick says we can't afford the 32. Can you imagine the taxes we'd have to pay down here? Roisin, I have many friends from Northern Ireland. The majority would be Republicans. They don't want to be part of this country, purely for giving up the NHS and having to deal with our shocking health care. And I don't blame them. There's the point I was making myself. Even Republicans, even Sinn Féin people, nationalists in the North, they, are they really going to give up their NHS? to join us up here on a matter of principle. Naomi, did he live in... This is Thomas, I presume. Did he live in the North during the Troubles? Has he ever lived there? No. Sinn Féin have done the opposite to everything they've done here. They wouldn't even help the homeless. It's disgusting. They cause war with their ridiculous hot air, then disappear for others to sort it out. Each one of my family or friends do not want United Ireland. We'd lose the NHS and lose everything. Aideen, Thomas is stuck back in the day... He's not considered what the people in the six counties actually want. They're not at all wanting of a United Ireland. Yeah, it would be nice, but it's a thing of the past. It's a pipe dream. I have family on both sides of the border. I went through the physical border many times to visit family. There isn't an easy answer to the challenges, but a United Ireland is not going to happen without a fight. And who wants that? People in the South don't see the troubles, live the troubles, live on one side or the other. The six counties that are in Northern Ireland are in turmoil. And all anyone seems to be looking at is the fairy tale. I have no eyes on the communities, but the real pictures. Because it doesn't fit the view of outdated romantic ideals. I'm Irish-born, born and raised by Irish parents and Irish grandparents. Maybe take off the blinkers if you're going to interfere in subjects that you don't actually know about. Yeah, it's it. it uh, do people want a United Ireland? Do they want to see unification in their lifetime? I almost wonder, do they really? Do they really? <laughs> on the prock now, I, I think I might have called out Annecy as uh, uh, wrongly. Uh, he's demanding a full public apology and probably having me flogged at some gatepost. But you know what's going on there. These are people who think I'm from Mayo. Like, let's face it here. They but sometimes they get them. They get them in a tizzy over nothing. Uh, yeah, they're they're reckoning now that I'll be in Dan Lowry's faster than you can say Chorus Danton. It's 12 o'clock, lads. The last time I was daytime drinking, I was in Lanzarote. Do what I mean? 1850, 715, 996. Besides, I have to drive home, so you're only half wrong. Tonight's a big night, of course. Uh, we do this traditionally every year, but this evening is the first time in history that Cork City Council will elect a new Lord Mayor of Cork outside of City Hall. They're going to balance colleague to do it. And partly it's a, a kind of a nod, a hat tip to the fact that Ballancolic is now in the city. Of course, the city hall is also being used as a vaccination centre. So that's uh, another uh, problem that they have to surmount. But they're going to the cullum in Ballincollig for the election of a new Lord Mayor. And it's a tradition on this programme that we speak to both the outgoing and the ingoing Lord Mayor at this time of year. Outgoing Lord Mayor Joe Cavanagh. Joe, this time last year we spoke on Zoom because of the pandemic. We're speaking again on Zoom because of the pandemic. Did you think back then we'd still be in the situation we're in now? Uh,
9: absolutely not, PJ. Uh, to be honest with you, um, I really didn't know. And I think we have all been second guessing where we're going to be next month, never mind next year, as we've navigated our way through this pandemic. Uh, It's been an extremely difficult year uh, for for everybody, not just for me as Lord Mayor, but for everybody. Whether you're a business owner, whether you're just a father, mother, a young person in college, um, it really doesn't matter who you are, but we've all had challenges thrown in front of us that none of us expected to see uh, at any time during our lives, to be quite frank and honest with you. And we've all handled it differently. We've all faced up to it.
6: How has the year been?
9: The year for me has been, has been completely different. It's been a year of firsts for me in so many different ways. Um, you know me well enough, PJ, to know that over the years I am first and foremost, and always have been and always will be, community-focused uh, public representative. And my mayoral term throughout the year has been very much community-focused. And, you know, it kind of suited me, it kind of fell into my lap in a way, you know, because normally, as you know, the mayoral role involves a lot of things like, you know, international travel, even national travel and so on. I mean, I didn't travel outside Cork City uh, throughout the mayoral, my mayoral term. Uh, I had one lovely visit down to Cove uh, during the year and visited some businesses down there and I grew up there. So I met a lot of old friends down there and so on. And it was really uh, a fantastic visit and, uh, but by and large, the majority of my year has been focused on local communities in our city uh, and trying to doing the very best I can in my capacity as First Citizen to help them to navigate and get through the challenges and face up to the challenges that they're facing on a daily basis, which has been very much unprecedented. And you yourself and your team and have been very much on the front line in facing up to these challenges. And indeed, helping people on a daily basis to clear the confusion sometimes that people were very frightened. People were, it was fear of the unknown, I think, in a lot of cases, uh, because none of us have ever faced anything like this before. And, you know, people were looking to people like your good self and the people you were bringing on to your show to try and explain and to pull information out of them in order to put their minds at rest and this is what's happening this is where we're likely to go this is what you must do this is what you must not do and try and help people on that, in that way and um, you in particular and your team have played an incredibly uh, helpful role throughout the year in helping people including myself I have to say um, in, in, in navigating and helping people uh, find their way through
6: what has been very challenging times. It's kind of you to say that, Joe, much appreciated by all the members of the team. Previous Lord's Mayor, when we do this traditional interview, have always said to me that, you know, I thought I knew my city. I learned a lot in the last 12 months. Would that apply to you? Yeah, very much. Um, Affectionately, we
9: we refer to our beautiful city as the real capital. And at many events during the year, I have referred to um, Cork City as the real capital, but the capital of volunteerism and we are blessed in Cork City with the number of volunteers in all spheres of life and we really don't know how lucky we are and I, I, I when I went into this role back in June 2020 and um, you know I had an idea where I was what I was going into but I didn't realize that the COVID would last as long and every day was a challenge but you know what Someone said to me one time, and they were right, a challenge is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to reinvent yourself. It's an opportunity to reimagine the way you do things and to do things, obviously, safe. In this this case, do things safely and to do things, but still do things productively.
7: Mm.
6: I know one carpman to another, Joe. I have been very, very proud of the way the people of my city and my county have come together for each other in the last 12 months. I'm sure you'd share that.
9: Yes, I most certainly would share that, PJ, because, um, you know, I have been involved in a kind of an umbrella group as Lord Mayor uh, called the Community uh, Response Forum in Cork City Council. And what that is, is chaired by our Chief Executive, and it brings together uh, on on a kind of a fortnightly basis through the pandemic, uh, all the organisations, everything from the Gardaí, to the um, Emergency Fire Brigade, to the, you know, um, Meals on Wheels, every single organisation right across the city, talking about the challenges they were facing on a daily basis. And do you know what, it would make you proud to be from Cork, as you quite correctly say, because people have stepped up to the fore. And I I awarded um, community and voluntary awards to a half a dozen organisations there recently. Uh, there were six different organisations we selected and we do it annually. But this year it was re, it was re reframed, I suppose, is the best way to describe it, um, as COVID Hero Awards. And what we did was we, we looked at different organisations across the city. We reached out to communities and we asked them, communities, to nominate um, an organisation that would have stood out for them in terms of supporting them during this pandemic. And many we got lots and lots and lots of nominations in PJ and from different organisations. Lots of organisations were nominated, and I did learn about a few new organisations across the city as well. And what struck me about it, like there was lots of groups there who would have stepped out there outside their comfort zone, their normal comfort zone. You know, mm-hmm. like you touched on it yourself on a number of occasions on your show when you spoke about, like for example, GA clubs. Yeah, where where the players would get in their cars and go around to people who are vulnerable, who are locked up behind closed doors and who felt um, they couldn't go out. And prescriptions were picked up from chemists, groceries were picked up from shops.
7: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, all this type of stuff was done for people uh, by these organisations. These are, these are clubs now that would normally go out and play hurling and football and Camogie. Mm. But here they were digging in the community, supporting um, local residents, supporting local people and helping them through these very difficult and challenging times. And there were so many examples of that
6: mm-hmm.
9: right across the city. So you're, you're you're absolutely right. I was so proud, so proud of everybody in our city and the way that everybody has pulled together to help each other and support each other.
6: The office of Lord Mayor, Joe, is, is not just really about the First Citizen, him or herself. It's it's about their family. What's it been like for the Kavanaugh family?
9: It's been great. Um, my wife, Stephanie, um, has walked every step of the way with me. She, When she realised what she was actually in as Lady Mayoress, she thought she'd be just going to events and standing beside me and whatever, but she she actually grew into the roles and went along, and she really supported me. And do you know was sometimes you think, you know, I've got a light bulb moment here. I've got a great idea. And suddenly you run it by, you'd run it by the brains of the operation. Who'd be Stephanie? <laughs> you know, and sometimes admin, as men, PJ, you know, we don't like to ad- always admit that. But uh, in this case, she's she's usually right. I call her the minister for good ideas
6: <laughs> because
9: she's always right. As men, we don't always uh, admit these things, so we don't. No, but no. You know, but every step of the way, uh, some days you'd feel tired, you'd feel a bit down and you feel oh my god I, I didn't do that right or this has been cancelled and you feel a bit depressed but you know she'd pick me up always and say right we can't do this and I'll give you one very good example the Lady Mary's coffee morning for example mm. that was cancelled so we decided uh, let's do something differently let's try and frame it reframe it in another way so what we did is we organised the Lady Mary's coffee trail
6: mm.
9: where people couldn't come in so we decided we'd go out
6: mm-hmm.
9: So we went out and visited five or six different community settings across the city. Westgate Foundation in Ballancolig, Newbury House in Mayfield, uh, O'Connell Court in Toker, Young at Heart in Douglas, organisations such as that. And, you know, it was, we were up in Knocknahili in Terence McSweeney, college meeting students. And, you know, it was wonderful. And the, the reaction of the people that we visited was... It's so good. Some people had some of the residents in some of the places we visit hadn't seen anyone for fifteen months.
6: Yeah. As you're prepared to hand the chain to your successor, would you have a word of advice?
9: I'd say mind it because it's a valuable piece of kit that chain, to be honest with you. Seventeen eighty seven written on the back of it. Um but look, the most important thing I'd say treasure every moment. Every moment is a memory. Uh people have asked me, PJ, um, through the year you know and particularly especially coming to the end of the year people have said to me you know have what was the highlight of your year and you know something i'm so proud to be first citizen of the city and have the privilege bestowed on me every time and every day i wear the chain of office of lord mayor that for me is a highlight and the second thing people have said to me you know oh i feel really sorry for you um becoming lord mayor during the pandemic and my answer is always twofold Number one, every day you can get out of bed and put your two feet on the ground is a good day. But if you can put your two feet on the ground and be first citizen of this wonderful city, there's no better day.
6: That's a lovely way to put it. Joe, personally, on behalf of myself and the team, as you prepare to leave the office, I want to thank you for your regular involvement in this programme and your constant willingness to be part of the opinion line. And thank you and best of luck for the future. PJ,
9: thank you very much. And thank you for everything you've done. And thank you for your openness, honesty, and your
6: inclusivity kind words and we appreciate them from our outgoing Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Kavanagh. Our new Lord Mayor will be with us on the show on Monday. Our apologies to Una from the Midsummer Festival. We didn't quite get to talk to you today unfortunately, Una. Good luck with Silent Disco. It's going to be a great event. Sold out, so it'll be a great event and good luck with everyone involved in the Midsummer Festival events over the weekend. Fanula says, my father took us to Fountainstown one evening after work and all the kids in the park in the, Mo- in the Morris Minor big gang of us into the Morris Minor the next day there was a picture of us in the Examiner young and old enjoying the sunshine my dad was 35 <laughs> <laughs> he got slagged about it for years I figure they would. Finola, thank you. And thanks to others who shared their dad stories with us. Remember, I'm on Oldies and Irish on Sunday, Father's Day, PJ at 96 of M.E. If you want to get a mention for somebody. And that's it for today from The Opinion. And the program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Mauret Tuig. We we'll see you Monday just
2: after nine.
7: Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread,
3: 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.